To what service is my soul committed? Constantly ask yourself this and thoroughly examine yourself by seeing how you relate to that part called the ruling principle. Whose soul do I have now? Do I have that of a child, a youth, a tyrant, a pet, or a wild animal? Marcus Aurelius. One of my homeboys. What's going on, guys? Mm. Episode 19 of the Battle Axe Podcast. This is your host, MDLP, saying a hello because we've been away for a little while. And of course, as always, and I'm prideful of saying this, my host, Johnny Banks, Baron of the North. No. Yes. I mean, we were really busy saving um, um, people. And we animals. were, I don't know. We were doing something. Yeah, but some really important, aid. super important. Laziness is important too, though. Humanitarian. Philanthropy. Some say we yes. love too much. God. Yeah. I was caring about myself and Smash Brothers. <laughs> Duh. Um, we've been away for a little bit, but not much. I think we've always done that. Uh, we wanted to recap. It gave us an episode today to kind of talk about a lot of things, but not too much that we spread ourselves thin, but kind of current events like we always do. But at the same time, current events in the sense of things that are reoccurring, injuries, coaching, um, and of course, a love of sports. So we'll touch things like on nationals. We'll start talking about events that are coming up or competitions. And a lot of questions that we've been getting in general have kind of guided the topics that are coming in today. And then we're going to kind of just fly off the seat of our pants is what we do best. <laughs> Completely. <laughs> I have a pen in the back of a an insurance envelope, which is my <laughs> which you can see how fucking legitimate we are. Um, but yeah, so at least we're not drowning half a bottle of whiskey like we normally do, which just is whatever, too legitimate. Yeah, um, see, that's what happens when you podcast on a Sunday. You don't get to drink. <laughs> You're like, oh, I might day drink. Um, but yeah, I'm actually, I know, John, I'm actually really excited. Like I was telling you when we were talking about this episode, it is a sense of relief and therapy for us here on the microphone, but also just a great way to, to stay involved um, and to thank all of you guys who are listening right now on your phones and on your cars and in your ride to work that we are super appreciative and always appreciative of the Battle Axe Clan, all my friends and family who listen to us, the BV305, who are consistently, and now I would say Bearded Villains Worldwide, backing us up, asking questions, reposting. To Cerberus Strength USA, thank you very much for taking care of my clients and my lifters and the Battle Axe Gym. These are just small shout-outs um, that I really like to do. And everybody on Instagram who takes time to comment, to like, to repost, Please understand that that should transcend not just us, but to everybody. I posted a thing recently that says the best way to support your friend is just to just to literally just support. Like, mm-hmm. comment, repost, say thank you. That's how you repost. That's how you help somebody's business. And, and I'll be honest with you, somebody's mood. Yeah. It doesn't hurt a lot to just say, hey, man, great show, even if you didn't listen to all of it, even if you can sure. just fucking say it. Yeah, I mean, they put it on. Play it and put it on mute. No, I don't care. Yeah, I don't care. Just make sure it counts as a listen. Yeah. You know what's funny is I I got the service uh, socks, deadlift socks, oh, nice. and uh, something that they do really well is and I bought from them before. I got their um, their axle straps. Yeah. Which are yeah fucking yeah. beautiful. Yeah, good reviews. Um, they in every receipt you get a thank you note, handwritten. Really? Which is that's the Ken perfect Nowicki. touch? Yeah, man, that's Ken's touch. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's cool, man. The so. same thing with, like, not even the ch- the church guys, man. They always do that, too. Yeah. They put the little thank you. I'm like, oh, you're so much better than me. <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of like, you should have bought my shirt, <laughs> asshole. <laughs> and they're like, thank you for purchasing. Yeah. Handwritten. Damn, Tomer, you're good. Yeah, he's a oh, piece of shit. Sweetheart. Such a fucker. Nice it makes me mad. I know. I um, want to be that nice, but I, I don't. I, uh, 
I, I don't have it in me. Or maybe I'm just too, I don't want to say lazy again, because that <laughs> might be the theme of the fucking podcast. Um, but but going forward, I we just got off of um, Nationals 2019 that got rescheduled because Florida sucks and we have hurricanes every day. And literally, like, the only one we have to worry about hit that. So all of you guys who got rescheduled and stuff, um, you know, I'll be honest with you. When I heard that they were going to do a 50% invite to the Arnolds, I still and will always say that's bullshit. Um, but I will tell you that the top tier guys that were nationals, type girls and guys, were top tier. Like oh, the people yeah. winning the class, the top five, top six, like they would have got top six if there was fucking 900 people. Um, I was completely humbled in that sense. I think most of the people that got their honored invite, at least most of them were legitimate athletes, fucking hard workers. Um, so I don't want to sit here and take anything away from a lot of the champions that won top three, top five, man. They fucking, I was impressed. Like yeah, I was sure. seeing some reps and stuff. I was there live to see that. And you cannot say, you cannot take a single, if there was, I know there was over only a hundred when there was supposed to be like almost three. Yeah. But the guys winning and the girls winning, yeah, they're fucking legitimate. Like, because they, they had to reschedule everything. So not only does it show that, you know, they really want to go and win, but they're committed enough to, re, you know, reschedule a plane ticket, another week off from work, pay yeah. fucking hotel rooms in a different state, and fucking sure. Quad Cities is expensive to fly into. I was thinking about this, um, as you mentioned. So they basically, you had a few athletes competing. Yeah. And you peaked them for Florida. Right. And now yeah. and you have to repeat them, what, a uh, month later? It was four weeks. Four weeks. Yeah. So then uh, what did you find was most challenging in terms of re-gearing your athletes to perform at nationals? Yeah, and uh, that's a good question. And I had a few people uh, that I had reached out to, just curiosity, and had reached out to me about that. Um, re-peaking is almost uh, a redundant turn. You can't really re-peak. That's rough. It's almost like you're... How many times can you climb the mountaintop? Yeah. Like just once, really. Um, yeah, you can recline, but it's not the same thing. The best thing you can do in that situation is really take your foot off the pedal um, and understand that for the most part, three weeks of tapering off and resting is probably going to provide a lot more in the sport of strongman. From what I understood, a lot of people just use the extra four weeks to taper down, just kind of stay in the 80, 85 percentile and just let their bodies not get hurt. Mm. Um, but adding four more weeks of those particular events was very risky. You know, the actual deadlift. I think anyone who who had been ready for that competition and kept deficit deadlifting at a heavy weight was just asking for trouble. A lot of the guys just cut the stone of shoulder, same thing. Yeah. These are events that are more destructive than they are, unless you really have no idea how to do these lifts. But they're really simple, but with a very low, um, like a the turnover is not good. You, know, you have a high cost for a low benefit. Um, when you're training an athlete for this, you really have to kind of, so much on the psychological game, but you have to understand the level of weeks they've been being, being damaged. And it's really about, okay, look, really? You have two more weeks left of workload, work capacity, not hitting maxes, staying lean, learning, not lean, staying um, athletic, staying fit, because most of the time in nationals is about fitness. And then, and then taper down one more week, because really... You know, you have to consider what? R cutting weight again, if that's an issue. Yeah. So they have to not get fat that one week. They don't go balls to the wall and pizza. But then that they might have to cut again or start leaning out again. So you kind of keep them on their diet, keep them on their focus. And instead of ramping up with the idea that they have to work four more weeks, it's more like, hey, man, like you got three more weeks to rest, right, basically. 
and to kind of improve. Let's focus on those little muscles. If there's any injuries or anything like that, let's fix that up so you get to the battlefield 100% because pretty much your training's done. So yeah. you've been gifted another three weeks to kind of recover and, and stay in a work capacity. It fucks with the mental aspect. Yeah. But that's really up to your athlete at that point. You know, if they really sure. want it. A lot, like I said, the people that were there that were winning, I didn't fucking hear them say anything. Not a single complaint. Oh, man, I had to repeak or, oh, man. They were just like, man, it was tough, you know, to have to keep doing these events. But not like, they're there. They were clocked in four weeks ago. You just gave them four more weeks of hunger, basically. Yeah. What did, what did you think that was the overall consensus from the athletes about the events? Um, I think people were, I know I'll say it here too. The, the deficit deadlift was fucking stupid. Um, I don't care what anybody says. I get it, but that's just a fucking trash event. Everybody had the same understanding, like, fuck, it sucked to do this. Um, what people post and what people say, obviously are respectful. And I like that. They're not trashing everything publicly. Yeah. I'm trashing that event, uh, because I think it's just so bad on the back for nothing. Like there is no turnover in training. It doesn't necessarily prove strength as much as it proves uh spine durability. Yeah. Um and it's it's just a tough, fucking brutal thing. Other than that, people are they even changed the Zercher the Zerker carry to a um to a yoke because they had the double beam yokes. So there's no way you're gonna Zercher carry that, right? Yeah. So they went ahead and uh they changed it to a yoke, and there was a couple grumbles. You know, people were a little upset that they got so good at the other carry, now they got a yoke. And, yeah. But again, I mean, it's kind of like the same consensus. This is strong, man. You know, they had to put this show together in three, four weeks, so it's kind of what they could get at the local competition. Yeah. And I know that nobody predicts hurricanes, so it's not like they purposely did this. Sure. And honestly, if you're a nationally qualified strongman, if that's even a terminology anymore, you should be able to yoke. Aren't and they we made all the nationally qualified? Yeah, of course. I mean, that's on my bio. So <laughs> take on my bio for training. I'm a nationally qualified. Three-time national qualified strongman. I should do that. Uh, Three millionth strongest yeah. man in the world. <laughs> strongest. My mom's strongest man. Duh. I mean, hi. Who picks those events? Is that put together by like a committee or is that? De- yeah, Dion's got a, a group of uh, people. I forgot his name, but he he does this. Most of the events, they sit together and, and they, they think of the events Normally, it's good events. I've never, I don't really like to dog too many events. I've seen some funny things like the Circus Dumbo to a single farmer deadlift. That was in 2016, I think. Um, and it was like a back and forth. There are some events where I think. I just got dumber. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Uh, <laughs> I, even, I couldn't even picture that in my head. I'll show, I'll show you your old training video. You're going to be like, what? <laughs> um, there are just some events where I think they try to get creative with what the equipment they can get there. Um, yeah. I always thought nationals should be relatively basic. And heavy. I mean, you want to have your your bread and butter. It is strongman. And then at a weight that is is competitive, is intense. It's really not as heavy as the Arnold's, but heavy. You know, log, yoke, deadlift, a carry, and some sort of load or medley. But again, as now being a, you know, on my almost on my fifth year of hosting my own show, I understand that there's limitations. There's you got to consider what equipment can damage certain things, how long certain stuff can go. So I'm I'm gonna brush that all aside, but. As far as the events, people's consensus were kind of let's get in and get after it. Yeah. Um, I don't think a lot of people were a fan of Stone or Shoulder either. Um, it's always, as far as a person hosting the show or watching, it's very fucking risky. You're dropping a stone on a bouncy-ass mat that can hit a corner, and it was like, also, you can't really backspot a 300-pound stone. Like, if that guy goes down with that stone, like I saw one guy go down, 
that's it. You know, when you're loading, it's safer. It's more, com- you know, you have the yoke to fall forward. I yeah. understand why they wouldn't do that because it could damage the yoke, but everything else was pretty cool, man. It, it, the credit to the strongman community, um, and this is the reason why I like it. It's kind of like, look, man, this is the way it is, and you're going to get the fucking job done because if you're a strongman, you're supposed to be able to deal with it, and we've yeah. always dealt with things like that. Um, but as far as for a national level, a, a national level show, I think, I don't know, opinion-wise, keep it relatively simple and just keep it fucking heavy. Sure. Um, What's it mean to you when your athletes qualify for nationals? It's a good question too. Um, personally, it depends. At a certain level, uh, certain athletes I have, at, it should be. They should be doing that. That's their job. They should be qualifying top two, top three, in, or top two in certain events or winning. I think um, depending on the shows that they're competing at, I think it's kind of a responsibility to get to nationals. If that's what the, the choice they want to make. When I see a beginner or somebody who's maybe in the middle, putting a year or two in and winning at their weight class, you see, here's an example. For certain weight classes, female or male, some are very, very competitive in the state of Florida. Very competitive. So getting first and second there is like, wow. An example, the 200-pound class in Florida is is crazy competitive. You're going to get... Winning a show in Florida, unless you have to travel, is tough at 200. And I'd say 231 as well. The heavyweights, not so much, because there's not a lot of heavyweights anymore. 175 is a very small bracket, um, even though we have two of the best national-level um, 175ers with Richie, you, and Ralph. And you can say that those guys can compete anywhere and qualify, but yeah. or qualify at the same time, which typically they do. Um, so it would be rough for me to say, oh, I always equally feel super proud. Yeah. You know? I, that a lot of jo- jo- coaches would say that, and I don't know. There's probably bullshitting from certain athletes. I expect national level. Like yeah, you sure. should be doing this. Like for myself, like I should be qualifying for national. It's not like a, oh my god, I made nationals. It felt really great in twenty in twenty eighteen because I came back from an injury, whatever. But yeah, I either would have made it there or somewhere else. I should be doing that, in my opinion. Um, doesn't mean it doesn't makes it less great. And there's certain athletes where I see them when they make it at at a. At a at a show where there's like eight or nine competitive guys or girls and it's a battle and these seven or eight are showing up to every fucking show and they're fighting for first place. I'm like, okay, like yeah. you fucking made it. Like, like congratulations. You're, you're learning the sport, but it means something, you know, at your level, at your weight class, at your division, at the com- competition in the state or in general, good fucking job. And then there's some people when I see, you know, three people in your class and they all suck and you're league, like leagues ahead of it. I'm like, well, I mean, duh, bro. <laughs> you know, high five. Yeah. Duh. Sure. Um, it'd be like watching Cristiano Ronaldo come play in high school and they win a championship and be like, oh my God, you're the best. I'm like, dog, you're Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> you could play that but by yourself. Yeah, stop <laughs> it. Uh, and that's just a truthful answer. Um, yeah, sure. But always, it always makes me, obviously there's a level of pride and just being proud to see them commit to yeah. that journey. When uh, So this competition was held where again? Quad Cities, Iowa, or Davenport, Iowa. I messed that up like nine times because it's on the border of Illinois. Let's just say Davenport because anytime I hear Quad City, I think of DJs. Sweet. <laughs> yes. You're welcome. I think that's only a Florida thing. Yeah, I think so too. Okay, that's fine. We'll take it. That's all. We're like 90% <laughs> of our listeners. Yeah. What, uh, <laughs> what do you think uh, when you're traveling? What are some things, maybe some advice that you would give to athletes who are traveling? And then what is some advice that you would give to a coach who's traveling? So I think this is a good episode because I think we're touching base on both the athlete and coaching. Um, since 
hate to be a dick, but everyone's a coach now, and I'm just saying that in a non-dickish way, okay? But I, in, in some ways, it. and in some ways, I'm being a dick. <laughs> I hate it, <laughs> and I'm not anything, and I fucking <laughs> I hate it. it. So. I'm like fucking hate it. Um, so I've had the luxury of coaching and teaching both in martial arts and uh, lifting weights for the last ten years. And I'll say this on this episode. I was going to post about it uh, eventually. There is no time ever that I'm not filled with like an absolute pride and being humbled, like massively humbled when somebody pays or my ticket or asks me to travel with them or facilitates me getting there in any possible way to be by their side. If it's just like to tie their shoelace or put a knee wrap on or just pat them on the back or obviously coaching and all these other things. Sure. I think that 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 is an honor and a lot of people should really think deeply upon that where most people never get that luxury. I've had the luxury of doing that for a long time, especially the last three or four years where I travel um, in state and out of state, anywhere between 15 to 25 plus weekends a year. I'm not home um, because I'm either at a competition, I'm hosting a competition, I'm emceeing, I'm coaching, I'm helping with dieting, whatever. When you travel as an athlete, you have to consider that you are no longer the big fish in the small pond. You are just somebody else. Unless you are a ridiculous athlete and, you know, nationally known. For the most part, most of us travel somewhere and you're just a small fry now. Yeah. No one is trying to help you, per se. No one will necessarily have that box of chalk for you or have an extra belt. You're not going to get that easy down command or those easy white lights. You're a fucking nobody. Um, and I think it's important for you to do that, to get humbled, but also to realize that you have to be at the top of your game when you're out of state. When you're a stranger to people, the only thing that matters is not your followers. It's not your outfit. It's not your fat ass. It's your execution. It's your actual athleticism that matters most because people will eventually remember you for how good you did or hard you, how hard you fucking tried, whether it's powerlifting, strongman, whatever, especially powerlifting and strongman where it's like a performance-based thing and you're you really stand out because only one of you at a time per se mm. sometimes in crossfit i understand but there's like 10 heats you know you get kind of like swallowed swallowed over so yeah for an athlete remember to keep things really simple don't travel with too many things um always have a gear check have the mentality that you're going out there to perform make sure your weight's on point make sure that you're taking some sort of food with you that you, if you're not taking your coach with you that they have some sort of free time during the day. If you can travel with somebody, one person at least, that helps. I've traveled alone. I think it's important to be alone too, to learn how to take care of yourself. When you get there, be friendly, bro. Don't be that fucking cool guy in the corner with the hoodie and the headphones that comes in like a badass and looks like trash. Like, that is so fucking outplayed, dog. It's so outplayed. Like, stop it. It's not an individual sport per se. You get out there, you make friends, you say hi, you make friends with the fucking judge. That's called strategy. You're welcome. You make friends with the promoter. You make friends with your opponents, you know, people in different classes. Because you never know when you are going to need that box of chalk. But instead of being in the corner like a dick, you're actually friendly with somebody. May mm. Or maybe you get the chance to help somebody and have an extra pair of knee sleeves or have an extra pair of uh, shoes that they might need or happens to be on the same size. So take that all into account that it's important to be friendly, to be that person that you are on Instagram, per se. Be that person in real life and, and be welcome and be that person that we fall in love with the sport with. You know, this all oh, the community. Do that. It helps out tremendously when you are making friends and connections. You never know what might get your back. Um, always pack double stuff and then little things like that. The mentality, again, is 
you are not a small a fish in the big pond. Go earn your spot. Yeah. Come back to your state or your city and be like, they're going to remember me in California. They know who the fuck I am in Davenport. They know who the fuck I am in New York. They know who I am in Texas. Like, be that person. It's important. And then as a coach, I think it's important to, A, um, remember that you're there to serve. You know, I think a lot of us eventually, after being taken so many places, we start to think we're hot shit, uh, but you're not. Uh, coaching is cyclical. Uh, just like being on top as a coach or a gym is cyclical. You know, one year you're the hottest shit in the world, and the next year you are overshadowed by some new person that deadlifts more than you. Right. Despite you keeping your clientele, you have to understand that it's an up and down. So when you go, be appreciative. Remember that you're there to serve. If they need help, if they need an ice pack, if they're injured and they're crying, you are that person. Be yourself and that you're there to serve. If they need a knee wrap placed on there, don't be too proud. Because you're literally their entire, you're the whole gym in one person. So when I travel, I feel that I am the battle axe gym in one person. So aside from being a grumpy, relatively somewhat, a little way cocky motherfucker, I also have to be subservient. I also have to be somebody who is relatively, or well, it should be, helpful and cheery and, hey, man, it's going to be okay. And Do you need help? Do you need a, a bag of ice? Uh, hey, man, watch out with those straps. You got seven reps. You know, I was there helping people from various weight classes, friends and people I didn't really meet, and even people that are competing against each other because, remember, you're there to serve and that you represent not only yourself but your lifters. So keep that in mind. Coaching on the road is very difficult. It's extremely demanding. It, it, it's actually very, causes a lot of anxiety um, because you are out of your element. You have no one really to lean on but yourself. And I think you learn your, a lot about yourself when you don't have, you know, an instant Google to, to look at something or to ask for help. You have to think things on the fly. You know, if you're hamstring, if you're, for example, uh, Brandy pulled a hamstring on that second event, you have to think on the fly, talk to here, talk her out of it. What movements? Don't stretch it. Let's wrap it up. Stay moving. Hydrate. This is how you're going to pick up this. You're going to open up your toes slightly on the deficit deadlift so you involve more quad, almost like a snatch grip. So we do less on your hamstring. Let's test it out. You gonna, These things are now flying yeah. on the go that you have to do right then and there, and you have to do it calmly. Like, hey, man, you're going to be all right. It's just a tug. Yeah. As opposed to your inner voice is like, oh, my God, it's over. Like, oh, my, you know, because you're anxious for this person. Sure. You got to portray being calm, being confident, and when to turn it on and when to pull away. You know, you're in public now, too. You can't sure. just beat up an athlete. So there's a lot of different things you can learn on the road as being a coach. And then, of course, always have things ready, always have things available. And I, like I said about the athlete, don't be a dick. Get there, make friends, man. Say hi. Say hi to friends and say hi to new people. You know, I have the benefit of I'm very fortunate that when I went to nationals, I knew a lot of the people there. In fact, I knew a lot of the people that won. And you're, it's, it would be okay for me to, to just talk to them, but it would also behoove me to go ahead and meet the new people, the next generation. Say, hi, hey, good lift, bro, or nice split jerk, or man, that was really clever on the yoke. Get involved. Tell them that they need anything. Hey, bro, if you need anything, you know, there's water here. There's, we got some snacks. And be that person that you wish you would see when you were an athlete. Because I've had the luxury of talking to coaches that weren't my coach that were helpful. Um, and, and in Muay Thai and everything. You know, that whole, you know, cool guy in the corner coach thing is the same thing I would say the athlete. It just, it's, it's archaic. It, it's just stupid when social media is so open now. Yeah. Um, and that's a, a, another good thing because guess what, man? You, let's talk business. If you're out there making friends and being polite and showing that you know your shit, you might pick up a client or two. Sure. Um, instead of being like, yo, your coach is a dick kind of thing. 
And it's important, I think, to to recognize that's actually what grows the the sport in the community, right? Exactly. And that's the overall goal because you want to build a legacy of strongman in strongman. Well, well said. Yes, like exactly. <laughs> I don't well, have anything I mean, to say to that. Not saying we hang out a lot, but We're here we are. We talk every day. <laughs> um, it's funny that you. Okay, so uh, well, it's not funny because I hate when athletes get hurt, especially people. Yeah. Athletes that you know, yeah. um, you know, you don't want to see anyone get hurt, especially really at any time. Yeah. You know, ever. sometimes people get hurt when they do dumb shit and you're like, well, you know. yeah, it's kind of what you get. Yeah. And then I'm, not saying, I'm <laughs> not saying you're doing dumb things, but here we are. What have you learned? Yeah. Um, but yeah, you hate seeing it hurt. So, but what I did notice is um, well, I believe Brandy had mentioned her hamstring. Mm-hmm. But also our friend Reed yeah. had mentioned you because uh, I guess you guys had spoke. Um, did you find yourself kind of uh, trying to help him with his mentality for that tear? Yeah, man. And um, first of all, I'll go out and say that Reed is one of the toughest guys I've ever met. And um, shout out to you, Reed. We'll have 20, how we started as not bitter rivals, but real fucking rivals. And I'd say we still are. We'll always be rivals. And how much respect we have for each other over the years sure. and just watching him uh, push through after tearing his bicep and keep going on a 280 stone. And it's, it, I'll tell you what, I never say this, but I was just like humbled. I was in awe. I was like, God yeah. damn, you know, uh, and, it, and it, it tore. Unfortunately, it's not like he was doing anything wrong. Um, when he did mention then we, we, me and Reed have talked a lot over the years, uh, especially when I was hurt and he was always on my side and other people too, as well. It's yes, I was there for him in a sense, because when you're hurt and this comes from a place of experience, you really want to box yourself in. Because now you're that vulnerable animal. So like I've said before many times, a wounded animal is a dangerous animal. You're cornered, you're frustrated, and you just want to, first thing you want to do is lash out because you you don't want to be baby. You're in this position. But typically, as an athlete, you will go to that one person that either has been hurt like you or understands what it is to feel this feeling. And I don't want to say I would have the the luxury of being there in a sense because that's just, it's not like it's a great feeling to watch a friend get hurt, but I was hopefully there for him in a sense where I'm like, yo, I get it. Like, these are the steps we need to do now. First, feel it. Like, this does suck. Like, you know, it's going to suck. And in many cases, things won't be okay. So just sit with it. Keep your head up, dude. I understand what you're going through. Let's do this and this and this. And then give him that bubble of of respect. Let the man get hurt doing something that he is loving to do. And, and, and know who you're talking to. You know, I'm not talking to a punk kid. I was talking to a grown ass man who's got a warrior's heart, so I gotta I gotta respect that too. But yeah, sure. we are very alike. In general, um, when you're dealing with things like that and injury and people get hurt in front of you, it's it's devastating actually. Sure. As a coach and as a fellow athlete, you know, it's like when you see in the NFL somebody get fucking knocked out. The whole stadium goes quiet. Because in general, as much as we are a grotesque addicted humanity that loves to see the macabre and just violence and accidents we don't really want to see anyone get hurt yeah we want to see the guy go down and then get back up and be okay we want to see the car flip 19 times but the guy get out and be like i'm gonna be just fine yeah sure um but when it doesn't and when it doesn't end just fine and when things get a little bit more serious i think it's important to to give it to let it run its course you know and give them the right variables and, and, and know when it's serious and when it's like a an injury that needs to be relatively buffered with toughness, if that makes sense. Like your bandaid is toughness. You know, sure. you tweak that hamstring. There's a difference between twi- tearing it and tweaking it. You know, Brandy took it really well. 
um, I saw a lot of people get beat up. You know, yeah. I saw severe injuries and I saw a lot of little tweaks where it's hard to end the Nationals without being fucked up. It's hard to do a strongman competition in general without going home like, I'm 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 a little <laughs> fucked up. Yeah. And if you go home pretty good, I'm either like you're really lucky or you were just things were too easy for you. You know, it's really tough. Yeah. And I'd say that even about some training sessions. But in that sense, it's 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 always understanding who and what we're dealing with. You know, your level of severity, your checklist. I mean, it's almost like a. I know it sounds silly. I'm not no no way anywhere near comparing myself to anything. But like being like a first responder, you have a checklist. How is the person doing? Where is their eyes? How is their personality? How is their breathing? What's the severity? Are they going into shock? Are they bleeding? What's the trauma? You clear those massive emergencies first, and if that's something you don't understand, the first thing you need to do is let a professional take care of that shit. Not yeah. like, oh, I'm a coach. Chill. Be like, nope. Get a fucking doctor and a paramedic. I don't know what to do with you, bro. Yeah. Be professional. Sure. If you see something that it's a level of something relatively tame, this is my element. You know. You, okay, look, man. I've seen that before. You're fine. You're breathing. <sighs> Relax. Can you walk? Can you move them? And even having in that calm direction is calming the lifter down because the first thing you do when you get tweaked or hurt is panic. I don't care who you are. Everything's worse. You're just going to Google everything on Instagram. I mean, on, on Google and be like, I have a broken fucking eyeball. It's, it's broken forever. <laughs> you know, like make some shit up. Right. So and understanding these things and bringing it down to a level of practicality. Look, listen, it's going to happen. The worst thing can happen right now is this. Yeah. This is a level of severity. Let's not misdiagnose. This is what I think it is. Is it worth for you to keep going? Is it worth for you to completely tear the muscle? Yeah. How far is it? How good are you going to do? I had a one of my clients in 2018, 2017 Nationals in New York. He tweaked his back on the second event. Really good tweak. Like you can just see, you can see his spirit drain from the, the tweak on his spine. Mm-hmm. I looked at him and go, he was not doing well that day. He wasn't in the top two or top three. I would say, hey, man, if you just push a little bit further, you're going to win this. So what was the cost of benefit ratio? He can keep going and really fuck himself for a long time or the rest of his life, or he gracefully pulls out and be like, it's not worth it. Now, ultimately, that's their call. But as a coach, you can give it a, uh, an oomph. Yeah. Yeah. So that's also very important. You know, If you have a, a tweak in your calf, you'll be all right. But if something happens in your spine or you hit your head or there's like a, like something's tearing, you got to be like, yo, listen, man, you're in seventh place. Yeah. Just just chill. Call it, fold your cards and, and get out of here. Sure. Yeah. Were you able to see that like in for both athletes, for Brandy and Reed? Were, did you were you watching when they both got hurt? Yeah. I mean, the were tweak on, on Brandy was I can see it. And then she told me. And then, the, yeah, Reed's, of course, man, I was like watching that event. Yeah. Because. Well, I mean, he was one like few reps away from getting his pro card. It's like what well, me and him have been talking about for uh, almost seven years. Yeah, I reading that, I was like, yeah, no, no, no. And I tell you that as as just heartbreaking. Like literally, like I can feel ill. I was like, no. And I remember, like, I'm already thinking, like, there's no. I mean, aside from something really severe happening, this is gonna be a great day. And you know, that's just a fucking sport of strongman. It's so cruel. Um, but yeah, yeah, I was watching on both and you can gauge what's going on. Obviously I know what a bicep tear looks like and feels. I mean, most of us do, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, so Brandy, she qualified for the Arnold's. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And she did well too. That wasn't a majority thing. That right. was, she like legit. She earned it. Yeah, yeah. I'd say that. I mean, not because she's my lifter at all. Like it was a tough class and you know, there was only three in her class that took the top two, but those three girls performed at a level where I thought that they would have been top tier if there had been ten girls. Yeah, sure. 
again, and I'll say, I, I'm being super unbiased. The winners, like Gabriel Pena, who won heavyweight, um, and Hannah, who won heavyweight women, like, you're looking at top tier in the world, like, as far as, yeah. well, now they're pros, but it's not like I'd say, ah, you know, look at these fuckers that showed up to mop the floor. Like, the people behind them were fucking behind them, you know, so. Yeah, and I think I've seen Hannah for a while at a couple yeah. of nationals, and she's yeah. relentless. Yeah, it's a good word. Yeah. yeah. Super intense, man. She's cool, too. I obviously trains with Leifa and them, and I, I think it's fucking, that was a cool crew, too, to yeah. be a part of, yeah. Yeah, sure. So what what does it mean to you to have um, an athlete qualify for a competition that's been your athletic goal for a while? Huh. Yeah, well, see, that's bittersweet. Um in 2016, and I'll bring it back. In 2016, I've been trying to get to the Arnold for seven years. And that's not a, I haven't even traveled to the Arnold's as a coach or as a, as a spectator because I always felt that I've had to earn my way. Yeah. Um, in some ways, maybe I've earned my way as a coach. Maybe I'll travel. I cannot say no that way. But as an, I told myself, I will not even step foot in that event unless I earn my way and it's seven years later and I still feel that way and that's why I'm going for Florida Strongest Man but uh, in 2016 I had the same thing I had an athlete that we were I was competing at the same time and she qualified for the Arnold's and I did not well and as you know you're heartbroken because I'm personally heartbroken but coaching is not necessarily that it's m- bigger than me sure. so it's this kind of mixed feeling but this is three years ago I'm a much different person, I would say. Now, I feel like it's it's everything. As a as an athlete, of course, I'm going to make the Arnold's band, of course. But that's a, a ship that eventually was set sail. Yeah. But coaching is forever, I think, and that's kind of like where my last years will be. That's kind of where I'm going to be till the end. That's kind of what I've been building and breaking my body apart to be to be like a coach would be like. This motherfucker knows he's been there instead of being like, oh, my coach is a pussy. I'm like, whatever. Yeah. So even when I'm done lifting, they'll be like, yeah, but he's still good kind of thing. Um, so I'm mostly filled with just like, honestly, pride and confidence and happiness for this person. I mean, just like, you know, uh, not even just to keep him to strongman, having three lifters going into worlds in Ireland. What a transition. <laughs> right? <laughs> you almost thought we talked about that before the show, but we didn't. Uh, in your face. <laughs> um, and it's it's everything. You know, so when you coach and when you travel, uh, there, and th- look, I'm not going to say this so I get a pat on the back or so my lifters feel guilty or anyone feels guilty, but traveling as a coach is tough. You know, you're not getting paid per hour. I mean, I know that top-tier coaches, I mean, they fucking bank. I'm not there yet. Maybe one day it will be, maybe never. But you're doing a 24-hour gig. Let's multiply that by three to four days. That you're relatively doing for cents an hour. Mm-hmm. For most of us coaches, we just get our way paid. We get some meals paid. Again, super gracious that anyone buy me fucking food, let alone drinks, because it's expensive. <laughs> um, but it's just fucking humbling to say that. But remember that your coach is working 24 hours away from home. They're away from family, away from friends, away from their professionalism, from their personal responsibilities. They're not really generating income, although it's a great way of marketing in a sense. Yeah. Um, and it's tough. It's tough mentally in that aspect. But that is so overshadowed by the gift of even being 
seeing that your lifter has finally achieved a lifelong goal. It's emotional to say the least. It's almost like you can feel it washing over your body like a rush. Here's a story, and I I'll, ugh, I try not to get too emotional because it's fucking amazing. Uh, when we had, uh, well, he's going to hear it and he's going to like it anyway. Well, Vinny had to do his particular pull in last year's world in Vegas. And all he needed to get this position was 2.5 kilos. When you're playing the strategy game, those coaches in powerlifting would know. It comes down to the deadlift, they say. The competition doesn't really start till the bar hits the floor. Because a deadlift, you can change your second and third attempt anywhere between three to five minutes before the lift. So if you see a guy go to 315, you're like, I'm going to change mine to 320 and win this bitch. Like, it's real strategy. You got to be, like, on point. Mm. And I knew that if I changed his deadlift at the end by 2.5 kilos, that he would move from fourth to third and take top three, which is a third third place ranking at, at Worlds in Vegas. So it would came down to the back where I'm like, look, Vinny, you're going to have to just pick this up. He didn't ask me what it was because that's also how we work. I go, you need to fucking get this. You need this. And that was when we played a certain song that we play and with certain speech that's ours. And he went out and pulled this bitch. When I tell you, because I was back there with Vanessa, when I tell you that it was fighting back tears and because you knew you what you were watching was not only the the results of your coaching, but the results of watching a person dedicate their something to a craft. And not only that, but that they're kind enough to have believed in you and dedicate themselves to you and your every last word and your every last belief and your every last personality and all your fucking terrible <laughs> moods as a coach because we we're all moody and it executed perfectly to win by a plate and it's it's when i tell you that those feelings are indescribable and it overshadowed almost all the lifts i've ever done in my life i would tell that story more than i'll tell you about my 700 pound deadlift and my 420 stone than winning florida strongest i don't mm. those stories about these people and what they lift and what they've done are going to just last a lifetime and their lifetime and their family's lifetime and children's lifetime. And to be a part of that story is legacy because it is bigger than my stupid numbers, right? Mm-hmm. And that is when you see that at the world stage is is stupid. At the national level, at, at the Arnold's, which we still consider a world stage, it's a gift. And it's something that is fucking beyond... Uh, it, it, it just goes it goes beyond like what I wish I could describe to you obviously I do I would say I do an okay job but it's fulfilling to say the least sure yeah so it, will this be your first competition out of the country for your athletes yeah for wow. me as a coach too and as a I've never competed outside of the United States wait nope nope so this is a first time that the battle axe gym carries its banner across the pond man wow yeah I know that's super cool it is fucking stupid man what do you think are going to be okay? So obviously we touched on traveling. Mm. Will your will your approach to traveling be different since it's a much longer flight? It's harder on the body. Yeah, yeah, yep. I mean, starts for like okay, the simplicity of it. Make sure your weight's on point because nine to nine to ten hours on the plane really fucks with your fucks with your weight because you retain water. Yeah. You can bloat. You can you know messes with your shit. So typically, athletes traveling along should be much closer to weight. The f- you don't know what kind of food is available. Remember, I'm not saying that Ireland is. It's just not here where you know where the CVS is and the Publix and the whatever. Mm-hmm. You don't know what kind of food is available, how quickly it is, or wh- how it's cooking. You're out of your element completely. 
Um, you also don't know if you have to get in a hot bath and, you know, here I go, go to CVS and get some Epsom. So, mm-hmm. well, down there, it's probably a different thing. Or is it a hike? Is How long is it going to take? You know, little things like that are very, very important. Um, but we have to leave a day before, you know, because so if, if there, for example, Vinny's competing on Friday, he's landing on Tuesday. Why? You get that Wednesday to acclimate, Thursday to weigh in, Friday to compete. Mm-hmm. You want that as best you can. There's some people who can just land there and go. It's tough. You're also six hours ahead. So is jet lag an issue? It can be. And if you're really fortunate, then you start training. Like, for example, if you're competing, this is if you're really fortunate. Let's say you compete at, you know, 4 p.m. in Ireland. Well, then you'd start training around 10 a.m. here for the first, the last few weeks to kind of get your body used to training at that time. That's a very good one thing. Burke told me that too. And you'll see football players do that. Like when they okay. travel to London to play. Here's an example. The Chicago Bears and the Raiders, who I lost a bet to. Motherfuckers. But anyway, <laughs> the Raiders landed <laughs> the Raiders landed on Monday so that they can acclimate. Chicago yeah. Bears landed on Friday. And they got their fucking asses handed to them by a team that was supposed to lose. Yeah. A surprising loss. And the coach from the Raiders said, we did this last year, and we landed on Friday, and we got leveled. All my players were, like, flat. Yeah. So they got them on. And you can see the Raiders were, like, popping. Chicago just looked like, what is this? The best defense in the league getting whomped. Mm-hmm. So that's a good example of why it's important to get there right, acclimate, see where everything is and things like that. But just going across the ocean in general, it's, it's a long flight, long flight home. But overall, the mentality, I think, is pretty like, – uh, the attitude is high. You know what I mean? You're going to fucking Ireland. How cool sure. is that? You know what I mean? All I want to do is drink and start a bar fight. Uh, that's on the list. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, I was thinking about what are you, what are you thinking when you get there, which is going to be, I keep saying challenges, but I would say maybe this isn't a challenge, but an approach to coaching multiple athletes because you're going to have so many different personality types. Yeah. You know, so – I've seen this many, many times. Um, there are some coaches that can handle a lot of athletes, and I've seen it. Um, most of them do a poor job. Um, I'll, I'll be, I'll be very forward. Somebody who does a really good job is Trevor Jaffe. I don't know yeah. how that motherfucker. I don't. He can handle a lot of guys yeah. and girls. He, I've seen it. And there's other people where I'm like, hey, bro, yeah, you bit off more than you can chew. You should have like four or five guys helping you. I typically try to help them out as far as loading plates and shit. I'm not coaching for them. That's stepping on toes. Um, I personally, I've done at least five or six that I can handle, but I always travel with the crew. You know, I travel with the clan, so I have people there doing the minutia, the plate loading, getting me, you know, chalk, and I need you to watch them for two minutes. I go in three minutes, they need to be at 225, and she needs to be, at 2.75 in two minutes, I'll be right back. I'm going to go watch this person lift. And it's this kind of like machine that's working. And wow. I know that he's doing 2.25 and three, so she's done in one. So we're going to go to 3.15. And it's just working this system that I've done for four to five years. And you have your list. You have your thing. And the night before, even though I might be out having a drink or two or three, I am going over this list consistently. You know, if he's flight A and flight C, that means from C to A, I might have 20 minutes. I have a break at B, which is a good time for me to get down and talk. When this person's done A, I'm, I might be watching their last lift. My C lifter is now starting to warm up as B. Start, like you're starting to get this kind of rhythm. And if I have people there, I'm like, I need you to set up the bar. Don't let them pick up a plate. Get them focused. Like, do your bird dogs. You got 20 minutes to go. Things like that. And people that 
have never coached are probably sounding like this is just a jumbled system, but it's an organized chaos. And those who have coached know exactly what I'm talking about. And it starts, you have to start small, right? You know, you start with one, then you start with two and three to four. I think anything more than five or six, unless you got some help, is a little tough because if you get three or four on the same flight and they're on separate platforms, you're, it's tough. I've had it before. It's tough. Yeah. Um, because you have to really look and then you didn't see their last lift, but you can see a video. Then you got to call their next lift. And strongman, it's not so bad because there's two at once. You can typically, different divisions, you can coach. Um, going overseas, I have three different personalities, obviously. Um, although two, yeah, they're all separate weight classes. Two are two on one day in separate flights and one on the third day. Vinny goes on Friday. Um, but I think most of the training should be done before they hit the platform. And I mean this in a numerical sense and a psychological sense. If you are flying with your athlete, which, A, you're very lucky, at that point, that lifter has to trust you that much that they're flying you out and you need to know their lifter that well because you are now, the, all the coaching should be done. Now is execution. Now it's just buttering the toast, just telling them a hype, you're going to fuck this up, remember how far you've come, you put on a song, you slap them on the back. That's just, that's just butter on toast. You're just good. The real coaching is five weeks ago when you're like, we need to figure out why your scapula isn't locking in, or we need to f- address this tweak in your knee, or we need to understand why your shoulder isn't in the right position, the hammering, the talking, the texting, the are you okay, the sitting after hours that nobody sees and coping with a, an emotional lifter or something happened in their life and you're taking care of that, that you're showing your lifter, I give a fuck, motherfucker. This is what we're going to do. I'm going to show up on Sunday, on my personal day, and you're going to come on my time, and we're going to train together. You and me are going to train together. Don't worry about it. I got you. Texting them on Monday. How are you? Sending a DM. Don't fucking eat that. How's your weight? That shit builds. And that is what's happening before you hit the platform, before you go out in the competitive battlefield. So when you're out there, you trust your general. That's why people who fight in the front lines, you'll die for. But people who show up the day of, I'm like, I've never seen this motherfucker before in my life. Don't tell me what to do. So when I tell coaches, I'm like, the coaching is done in the minutia before they get there. The trust has been built for, if you're lucky, years. I mean, I've had Vinny for almost six years now, Vanessa five. There's a lot of stories, and there's a lot of trust and momentum and a lot of heartbreaks that have been in these situations, but you've been built in it, building it. Once you get to that platform, man, it's just like, go, go, go. Like You've earned it. Like, I'm not going to fucking criticize you. I'm not going to, you know, this is it. Like, yeah. we'll do some fine-tuning, but... You know, get after it. And you think that that's kind of like more left unsaid because of the level of competition? Correct. You know, at that level, at that level, these lifters particularly don't need as much small stuff. Mm. Um, no, quote, unquote, no such thing as small stuff, but you get it. Then you get a beginning lifter. I'd say it's their first. Yeah, they're going to lead a little bit more because you're still, they still don't know you as, as well as you think they do. They may not be able to read you as well. They, um, they're still building. You know, if you've been training an athlete for a few months, maybe even a year, you're still building rapport. You know, you're you're taking care of somebody's body and lifts and future, and you still have only have a, like a year of, I won't, sometimes not even friendship. It's just almost like a, a relationship, professional relationship. Yeah. Um, and beginner lifters are going to be needy. They are going to be a lot more needy, and it's tougher. Yeah, sure. You have 10 beginning athletes. You're in for a fucking long day, bro. <laughs> As opposed to three seasoned soldiers. I mean, it's it's kind of like in, in battle. 
Yeah. I'd take a hundred fucking well, a hundred Spartans over a thousand Thespians, you know, whatever. Like sure. That's kind of what you want, right? Um, so in those in those aspects, I would always say that. You know, it it varies. But some people are always gonna and there are some needy lifters that are experienced and that's just their personality type, but you gauge it, you know. Yeah, it's, you gotta it's an it's a it's quite a ride when you're trying to hold in your grumpiness. I'm taking all these notes because, you know, I gotta do this soon. <laughs> yes. No pressure. Super no, nervous. Yeah, super. You should be nervous. Dick punch myself before I walk out there. Girl, baby. Yeah. What is that? Uh, Six ammonia sticks. Beavis and Butthead were the coaches. Kick me in the gym. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, wow. don't do that. I'll die. Yeah, no, don't. Please don't do it's that. T- it's awful. You get in trouble. <laughs> uh, it's sad how much I laugh at my own shit. Ah, uh, no. God damn it. I like it. <laughs> Makes me know when I need to laugh sometimes, too. I'm like, oh. Yeah, for sure. Yes. So... With these, <laughs> with again coming back to being at top level competition, what about some things that you absolutely prioritize outside of like the easy stuff, which is you know weight training leading up? What do you think would be like something that you prioritize for you and your athletes that maybe somebody wouldn't think of? Going in like going into a competition. Let's say for worlds. We're going to Worlds. We're going to Ireland in, what, two weeks? Yeah. Here is one thing that you're making sure all three of your athletes absolutely prioritize that most people probably would just either assume or... Well, when you're traveling that far, um, I think it's important to fly out with some foods. Um, For example, you know, worst case scenario, you have microwavable rice and tuna, maybe some cliff bars, something that's practical, beef jerky, like an in-case of emergency where... We get held at the airport or in a connection city. Like they say, we get held in the, in the UK or in England for a little bit. And these guys need to eat. Um, and in this case, probably not because they're cutting weight at the time or not, you know, not eating anything bad. But yeah, it's important that they have something to snack on that's familiar, that's relatively healthy, that you can fly with, as opposed to being stuck in an airport and having to eat a sandwich or a pizza. Um, those are big, big variables when you're traveling really, really far. Number two, always look up for backup plans um, as far as cutting weight or making weight. Yeah. Does, does you know, typically now a lot of people use the bathtub. Um, does a hotel room have a bathtub? Is the stand-up shower, especially in the U.K.? Sometimes bathrooms are smaller. Um, is there a sauna? Did you talk to the person hosting the gym or hosting the event? Do they know gyms where there's saunas or, or at least steam rooms where there's an emergency cut? We can head that way. And then just facilitating things to kind of relieve the mental pressure. Where are we staying? Uh, we're going to take care of this. We're going to get here this way by 2 o'clock. Just relieving these little things that they're probably overthinking. That's just getting in the way of powerlifting. You remember when you're, when you're so close to a competition, you're so, you're so susceptible to anything because you're so vulnerable. You're completely exposed. You're so anxious about competing that anything can kind of set you off, and that's very normal. You know, you can stub your toe, and you're like, oh, foot's broken. I'll never squat again. I feel like when, that every time I yeah, stub my toe. Yeah, when three weeks ago you stub it, you're like, oh, whatever. No. <laughs> no not you. <laughs> Baby, stub that toe, I'm going down. It's over. No it's more in the yokes. Knee. Yeah. It's in the knee. <laughs> it's the knee. <laughs> and you, and, and the, relieving these things as a, and helping them as a coach is really, really big. Yeah. Also, here I'll say something too. Um, don't be a diva as a coach. You, If you have to sleep on the couch because – you know, there's just for that one room they couldn't rent a cot. Don't make a big scene of it. Like, oh man, fuck this, or 
I'm leaving or I'm not doing this or I don't want to eat here. Like, don't, as a coach, man, unless you're, you know, like I say, unless you're just big time, make it easy for them. I can't tell you how many fucking shitty beds, shitty couches, and shitty meals I've had where I'm like, ah, oh, no problem. And inside I'm like, ugh. But who cares? I mean, yeah. you're not there for that. You're not there for that. And then afterwards, after they compete, you're like, all right, motherfucker. All right, I'm not eating that shit again. Like, it sucked. <laughs> you buy me a steak tonight, yeah. boy. Yeah, or you're driving. You understand? <laughs> you know, like, things like that really help. Yeah. Know, it does. Uh, listen, here's an example. I landed somewhere, and we we're taking an Uber. And there, I can tell my, my athlete was cutting there. I'm like, no, dude, I got it. I ordered the Uber. I got it. I grabbed their bags. I put it in there. I'm like, just chill. Because when you're cutting weight, you feel like dog shit. Mm. You're actually not doing well. And it sucks. And then you check on them on the plane. You go, all right, man, you... Why don't you get up and go remind him little things like that? I think it's go to the bathroom, force yourself to pee. When you're on the plane, don't stop peeing. Like keep going. Like mm. these are things when you're cutting weight, you got to keep doing that, and you forget. You yeah, know? that's so actually. These are just like quote unquote little things that you learn over time that they really add up. When in the lifter, stress adds up tremendously. First of all, not everyone likes flying ten hours. Yeah. So you know you want to know that they land and they're okay. Like don't become stressful. Everything's good. You're, Bro, we'll get to the hotel when we need to get to the hotel. Whatever we're going to eat, whatever the next day, bro, don't even worry about it. You're going to make weight. We're fine. There's a bathtub. I already talked to the promoter. He says in case there's an emergency, we can use this sauna. Dude, don't even, you know, you're good, dude. I'll carry your bag. Don't even, that is like a, you can hear him like, okay, we're good. Yeah, sure. My coach, we got this. And that makes the lifter confident. It makes them happy. When you were formulating the Battle X Gym, when you, you started realizing that dream and you made the jump, and you opened your business and your gym. Did you ever have the mindset like one day my athletes are going to be competing at a world's level? I wish I could tell you no, but I did. Yeah? Yeah. That's super cool. Um, I wish. Uh, I'm the one who I don't, uh, who I always would put the stress that I put on myself and expectations. That I've, I expected the same from my lifters, true lifters. Yeah. Obviously, year one, I was, you know, like I just said before, I was just trying to make ends meet and build. Sure. But as I started picking up pace in two, three years, I said, you know, there are some of these guys here that are going to be at the world stage, maybe before me or after me. I didn't know. Yeah. I feel like if I can hold up myself to that standard of winning and getting to nationals and getting to the world stage and taking championships and breaking records, even if I don't get there, the standard is there. And if I set that standard to myself, why the fuck wouldn't I set it for a lifter? Like, I don't want to be so sympathetic or so or such a pussy that I'm going to be like, oh, it's cool, man. You don't have to get anywhere. I'm like, no, motherfucker. Like, this is what you love to do, right? Yeah. So why don't we get there? Like, this is what you want. I, you you will get there. Just It just takes time. You will get there. Yeah. You know, and I set those I set those standards to my on myself and to myself years ago. I what say, was you know, the first like, year that you had an athlete go to a world's? Uh, Vinny was the first go to, oh, let me see, Vegas. Maybe Vanessa did world's Vegas. I think so. I don't know if it was nationals or 2017. 2017 mm-hmm. is when I, Vanessa made world's. She got a great total. It was in Vegas. And if I, I'm, I'm correct, if I'm thinking correctly. I'm at the Golden Nugget. <laughs> I love that place. Love that whole strip. <laughs> um, my kind of people. My kind of town. Um, it just smells like a good time. Fuck yeah, especially <laughs> after three a.m. And um, it that was one that was a, a big. I'd say the world stage in a sense, um, national stage. 
And same thing, I think one of my lifters and strongmen um, made nationals. I had two national champion females in the Masters Division, Z and Karen. And then Mandy made it to the Arnolds in 2017 as well, I think. Which, is, But I didn't go there, but she had made it. Mm. So 2016-2017 was, all females too, um, was a great was a great aspect of, okay, this is happening now. Yeah. Um, and, and you know what? And I'll be real with you. It's, again, it's cyclical. Do I think that every single year I'm going to have a world-level athlete? No, I don't. You know, sometimes people take time off. People get hurt. People grow up. People yeah. fucking get sick of my shit. Um, they don't they don't care about their responsibilities, things like that. And uh, I think it's important to recognize that's why it's so important when you have that to embrace it. And don't be like, ugh, you know. I mean, I'll tell you, traveling does... It wears you thin, bro. It wears you thin. Even if it's four hours up the road, yeah. it wears you down. Um, but to be super appreciative and be like, you know, look at this. Like, look what's happening right here. You know, and yeah. seeing your shirt fucking right there. You know, when we wear those shirts in Ireland, like, to me, as much as I say that I expected to be at the level, it's not the same as actually seeing it happen. Yeah. You know, it's like saying, oh, when I make my first $1,000 profit, and then you're holding the $1,000 cash. You're like, I'm king of the world, bro. $1,000 like a million, right? When you have that money in your hand. Yeah. Like the dream car. You know, I, I joke about it, but I've wanted that Bronco since I was four years old. We had a Bronco. We didn't, we lost it eventually. And then you can ask my fucking dad. That's so when my dad was emotional about it. I said, I'm going to get this fucking car back. So 24 years later, I got it. Now, there's a difference between me saying I'm going to get it mm. and then getting it. Because when I touched it and when I went in that car, I'm like, fuck yes. Like, Fuck yes. Like, I made it happen. Like, it's, it's tangible, you know? Yeah. So when you see these things, this is one thing of dreaming and execution. Sure. I saw one thing where it was on the back of a Dolphins thing I was watching on the TV. It said, um, knowing is half the battle, but execution is the, and I'm like, I couldn't finish it, but I finished it in my head. It's like, if execution is the war. I finished it in my head because I don't know what it said, but that's what I feel like it should have said to me. Where were you on that one, G.I. Joe? Yeah, exactly. Right? Face. Half the battle, what the other one? The other <laughs> one's a fucking war. Like, you won, you executed, it's yours, right? So, yeah, man. So, saying that, yeah, I dreamed it, but the day that we land in Ireland and we look at those pictures with battle axe over there, like, that's yeah. dope, man. That's cool. What about, have you ever gone to, like, a comp a couple of years in where you've come you've come in and, and you've seen someone in your shirt that's not your lifter? Yeah. <laughs> what's that like it's it's it, i don't want to say it's cooler but like w even like when uh when Derek carver made uh, i had him training him um if you guys don't follow him he's a pretty cool story pretty cool dude yeah um when he wore my shirt there and he's hanging with arnold and he wore the everything end shirt um he was an athlete there too but just in that level and then look we landed on um i landed when we did nationals this year and we're doing the rules meeting there was two people wearing my shirt the wow. all black flag and the strongest fuck and wow. No, not everybody knew it was coming, so it's not like they wore it to like impress me. Yeah, sure. They wore it because they like the fucking shirt. They like what it stands for. I'm like, ugh, like that man. That is that's eight years of fucking work to get that. That people are wearing it because they like it. Like they like what it stands for. You know, it's like that's dope, man. That's a, a cool. flattering feeling, man. Yeah. <laughs> Do you did they come up to you or anything? Or yeah, yeah, I know okay, them that, too. But didn't yeah, they didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> that I was gonna be there, and they're like, "Oh shit, bro! I'm wearing your shirt." I'm like, "I know you are," and I literally I was, have eyes. Yeah, I look I act cool. I'm like, "No, it looks good." And inside, I'm like, "Like, this is so stupid." I'm like, "Can I take a picture for my mom?" I'm like, "Nah." No, I'm like, "What's up, bro? Cool, cool, cool. Make sure you uh, tag me or whatever, whatever, whatever." Or I don't. don't. Care. I'm going to bar later. <laughs> but it it's it. 
it's that's a feeling of fulfillment, man. Just like I said, the other feelings are. It's really a, a level of fulfillment. Do you think when you land and you're you're in your gear and you're with your lifters, that'll be the moment where you go, fucking arrival? You know what, man? Yes and no. I think when Benny lays down his last deadlift and it's done, that I'll say, now we're here. Like, and I'll say it to him, like, we're here, motherfuckers, because that's how I talk. But yeah, that's when we're we're here. Like, we can just be. We're here. We've we've made a statement because I truly believe that all three lifters will do well. I just I just know it in my bones. And they will see our shirts. They will see who we are as a clan, our attitude, our charisma, our personality. And they will say, no, you're here. And I go, yeah, I know we're here now. And that I'm not going to say it in a rude way, obviously. But the moment that on the last deadlift, I'm like, <sighs> you know, like now we're here. So it'll be way different from when you uh Hit that overhead press at Florida Strong. Way different. It's three fifty, you fat motherfuckers. Oh, oh my, yeah, <laughs> I was like, wow. Okay, well, see, I, we're I'm pumped and body shaming all at the same time. MDLP, yeah, because I was fucking heavyweights, bro. I was only ten <laughs> pounds the heaviest lift. I'm like, I, I could have fucking won that, that bro. I had, th- I don't it was so about. good. I had three thirty in me, no problem, dude. <laughs> what a moment. I could have fucking rocketed it up. Ugh. But again, MDLP, the athlete. And MDLP, the coach, are like, yeah, it's two different animals. Right? <laughs> Just way different. Allegedly. Animals. Yeah, allegedly. <laughs> Unless you piss me off or something. <laughs> Which is not, it's like super hard to do to make me mad. Duh. Yeah, totally. Right? Yeah. You never piss me off. It's nah, different though. Our level of bromance is. It's disgusting. Yeah, it is. I like to throw it in Meg's face sometimes. I know. <laughs> we just love each other more than you do. It's not my fault. Whatever. It's like, you disgust me. <laughs> Start my life. You know why? It's because she likes wizards with sticks. Ugh! And you're a wizard with staff, man. Goddamn right. Yep. I can I can see that. Big staffs. Yeah. Not Makes like sense. not like a little like a cane. <laughs> yeah. You need a staff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Big. Maybe put a weird little eye in it or something. Wow. <laughs> Super cool guy. I'll do magic. Whatever. I also watched the movie uh, Willow. <laughs> oh. Saw what I did there. <sighs> Just aged myself badly. Yeah. Well, it was a good movie, though. Sure was. First time I ever wanted to be friends with a midget. Yeah. Now I want to be friends with midgets for other reasons. Obviously. Well, I do because I just want to feel taller. I'm short. <laughs> nah, man. Nah, they're cool. Nah, you know. like... Shut up. Don't even... Don't patronize me. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking guy. So mad. I hate ducking in rooms. It's terrible. You don't want to You don't want to do that. It's awful. Now my friend right now. Now you're about to piss me off. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Number one. Hug is going to be so much better after this. <laughs> so it's funny. So we were talking, and uh, one of the questions that we got from uh, one of the villains, Monster, who's a big supporter. Thank you. Yeah, man. Shout out, brother. Really does support everything. Yeah. Buys a lot of Shotzi. Yeah. Shotzi hooks us up. So, um, But he, would, he actually had been talking about, and I'm going to tie this into myself because I'm selfish, and the only thing that matters is me. Um. He basically says, can you give me some tips on how to turn my anger and pain uh, to basically utilize it for power or to to train harder? Um, Which is funny because I recently chained at another gym and they're like, wow, you don't really like, you're not a rager. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Uh, It's just work for me. But I've heard a lot of athletes are like, yeah, dog, like I had to go to a dark place to get there. And... Me personally, and we've had this conversation offside of the podcast, but I try not to reconnect with the bad. 
Right. Because if I give, if I go back, I'm not coming back. Right. You're going back. Yeah. And so I try to stay very far away from that. But I do think that harnessing that into strength does have its benefit if you are mentally capable of only using it in that moment. Well, you've talked a lot about how you lift very passionately. So I, I do want to get to that. But in your years coming up where you were training people and you were lifting, had you always had that like aggressive approach, that passionate like hitting a lift and be like, fuck yeah. Or was that something that was grown and developed? Well, uh, me personally, I don't know if it's been genetics. I like to thank my father. Um, I'm just really passionate. Like, it, it can be about fucking pencil fighting. <laughs> and it's like the most important thing in the world at that moment. I've, it's gotten me in trouble many times in anything we do. If you're one of those thick pencil cheaters, fuck you. Fuck you. It's the number two or get out. Yeah. Was it Monster Pencil or something? God, what a dickhead. Fuck. Fucking rich boy. I used to just flick their knuckles when they played with that. Yeah, rich boy. Rich boy. <laughs> I got the free one from the teacher, bro. <laughs> Piece of shit. It was shit. so bad for me. I had to borrow this. Now yeah. I got to give it to him in two pieces. Piece of shit. Um, but I, that's me personally. I've been, was born with a lot of, uh, a lot of my friends will still make fun of me to this day. That when we played uh, growing up sports, when I scored a goal or made a touchdown, it was like the touchdown of the year. Every single <laughs> fucking time i would go and run around and and boast and of course when i lost i was a sore fucking loser i'm like why the fuck did we lose and i mean being an idiot like me and my friend john carl would be like oh it's just a game i'm like <gasps> trigger point like i threw the ball i'm like fuck this like it was just i mean i remember we played parcheesi growing up and when i was four and then my brother would pick on me and i would lose i'd flip the parcheesi till my mom would beat the fuck out of me it, <laughs> as a child i was born that way very passionate about whatever. And to this day, I'm still an adult child. If I lose, you know, the earth tilted a few more axes, uh, uh, degrees <laughs> on its axis, fucking bullshit. My left eye is weird. You know, I, I can accept it, but I like to make, like, I make jokes about it now. As a kid, it wasn't a joke. Like, I was really, sure. really furious. Um, now I make jokes with it to cope with my fury. That's basically <laughs> what I do. Um, that's my personality type. And as I developed that, I re- then I'll kind of transition to, I learned that it, it shouldn't be my GPS, but rather a fueling system. And not necessarily something to be overly proud of, but be cognizant that that is truly who I am. When you're lifting, I think it gives you the opportunity to expose who you really are. And it's a, a craft. It is a craft. It is a canvas that you have been brushing over the years, creating what you want to design in your body and your personality. The way you lift, the way you act, where you come up to the bar, your personality off the, the platform, gearing up to a competition, is you brushing the strokes of who you think you've always been. Sport, especially strength sports in our situation as an individual, roughly, roughly an individual sport, allows us to develop a character that is, it should be, who you genuinely are. Because we are exposed, ultimately extremely vulnerable, up there in front of everybody, risking life and limb in a sense, for nothing other than our passion. And it's important to develop that. If that is who you really are, if you're a passionate, angry, or calm and collected lifter, that you learn to harness who you are as a tool rather than letting it run loose as a GPS. And I'll tell you from experience. When I was coming up in the sport, yeah, all the fuck yeahs and shut the fuck up and 
it was like all the lifts because to me, I was still finding out who I was. I was still trying to prove myself to myself. So every lift was something very significant. It, it was that. I felt that I needed to always be at that level. Always. I always needed to be 110. I needed to be super fucking angry and super passionate and over the top to myself. I don't. You, there's videos of just me by myself losing my mind because I'm by myself. I have a video of filming a when I first got the Beast Metal overly priced dumbbell. Empty was 130. It took me nine tries. On my ninth try, I got it. And all you, fuck yeah, I kick a fucking bottle of Gatorade. I lose by myself because that's just who I am. It was just that, that dumbbell was the whole world to me. Yeah. I was going to die before I went home because I needed to prove that to myself. As I've aged now, it's not necessarily that I'm more tired. It's that I've refined when I need to be me at its most and when I need to be something that I'm not and, with, and withstand that animal. When I need to be the chain and when I need to be the key to open up the gate. You have to be those things. If it was up to me, John, I'd always be 100%. Probably be dead. 100% true. If it was up to my personality type, I'd be dead or in jail 100 fucking percent. And anyone that you knows me on a personal level knows this is true. The person that I need to be sometimes, not necessarily who I want to be, is that person that's like, yo, you need to stop. Mm -hmm. I'd say most of us have that, right? Just like sometimes I do what I want to do, the rest of the times I do what I have to do. Mm-hmm. Gladiator, amazing. Is true to me as a lifter as well. So to tie this in and to make this practical and uh, applicable, if rage and anger is something you have deep within you and that is who you are, then you'll learn to use it as a tool, as when to turn it on and turn it off by practicing on using it on certain lifts and certain times as a way to make you grow and make better decisions for your life. If you're a person that is using it because you think that's what you need to do, you think that's cool, you think that's cathartic, it's not really who you are, you're really not that angry, but you want people to think you're angry, you're going to become A, see-through and transparent, and no one will follow you or remember you, and you're going to get hurt. I'm not saying that's what he's saying in particular. I'm just saying it's very evident when somebody goes up to lift and you're like, that's not who you are, you're just copying somebody. Mm-hmm. take this time to understand that if anger and rage is really your fuel system understand where it's coming from first and let's get psychological here understand what that rage is if it's external if it's internal if it's self-destructive if it's outwardly destructive and understand what that is first understand yourself for a little bit because if it's self-destructive and and it's pointed towards yourself you are going to last nothing in sport because you're going to lift too heavy, you're going to always go harder, and you're going to shatter. And then guess what you're going to do? You're going to be rageful at yourself, and now you have nothing to release it on. Mm-hmm. What you can do, and slowly, is learning to turn it on those five and using that, that inner feeling as a fuel source, as a way of focus. Because it's true. Turning on the killer instinct, whatever it may be, is better neurologically for you to lift a very heavy weight. It's a fact. How you get to that level is in the, I've seen people who don't break a fucking, don't even blink, but their level of focus and their level of acuteness and their level of energy and killer instinct is scary. Like, I'm like, like, I don't even, they're not saying a word. I'm like, I need, I need to get out of the way <laughs> yeah. because you can, it, you can, as an animal, we can feel that energy. We can, it resonates that focus. Yeah. And there's some guys who have to slap themselves up and look crazy. Like, you know, Kazma used to do it a lot. He's a big believer. 
big eyes and get all crazy. He needed that. Yeah. But that's how he brought that laser focus. And then you look at somebody like Magnus for Magnuson, who barely really went crazy, but had this really like just incredible vision. And you're like, yo, I, I better get out of this guy's way. Look at, yeah. look at Big Z. You ever see Big Z lose his shit? But when he's like, when he's breathing in the back, you're like, yeah. right? There was a fuel source. It takes practice. Yeah. So if you really, let's say you have a lot of things going on in your life. Okay. Go to the gym and be like, don't let it be the GPS of what's going to go out throughout the day. Instead, be like, I'm going to use today as a way of that anger to get me to the gym and practice using it. It's a, it's a, it's an, it's an asset. It's a tool mm-hmm. for focus. It's an asset to get this, this focus on things and using emotions as a, as a fuel source, disciplining your emotions. We hear it a lot on speeches. Yeah. You know, we are emotional, but discipline your emotions or they will use you. And that's something, it's something that's that you hear one. all the time. Brown says it all the time. And that's important. And the only way you do that is by practicing that. Mm. And so to tie it on in, yeah, man, there's a lot of ways of using anger and, and you know, rage and, and discomfort and all these things as a fuel source, but it takes practice. Start small. Don't, don't do it all the time. Trust, trust me. <laughs> you will, yeah, you will, you will beat yourself into the ground. Yeah. And worst of all, like, it's like I said, when I train, there's just a fucking aura around me that I'm just, it, it's, I don't know what it is. I don't want to call it too, it's, I don't know if it's rage and passion and all these things, but I want to do what I want to do so bad that it's like you're with me or you're against me. And I use that concept to fuel me, not to crush anybody else, not to crush myself anymore. And, and you'll see me, sometimes I make big lifts and I just walk away. Five years ago, ugh, what I ran down the street. Well, because I don't have to prove that as much anymore. Yeah. I know when I need to turn it on. Florida Strongest Man was a prime example. That lift meant everything to me. So good. Because it was like, this is me coming back and being like, I'm still here, motherfuckers. That was our lift. Yeah. Was there? Was yeah. There? That was our <laughs> lift. Take my power. Yay. <laughs> um, just as a PSA, if you're going to go to Thanksgiving Throwdown and you're going to be there to support me, don't fucking slap me. Oh. I don't like that shit. Yeah, some people love that shit. Yeah, that shit fucking pisses me off. Vanessa loves that, man. I'm like, Somebody slapped me in the traps at Miami's and I almost took his fucking head off. <laughs> You're like, I was like, don't do this. Don't fucking touch me ever again. <laughs> like, what? You don't just fucking slap me like that. To, I, it's funny. I had a little interaction with Nate mm-hmm. and we were out and we were super drunk. And Nate went up to me and he went. Mm. And he's like, all of a sudden, he's like, I saw your face and I was like, oop. Oh, that was bad. I'm going this way. Yeah. Yeah. That's a trigger for me. Like instant. Like, I'm like <clears throat> yeah. And he's like, I learned very quickly to never do that again. Yeah, you just don't do it. Yeah. You get that don't do it energy. Right? I, ju- I just grabbed the shoulders. and I was like, Nate, Mm-mm. not that one. <laughs> I could take a lot of shit. That's yeah, not no, one. I, am, <laughs> I'm the same man. I'm the same. I didn't like I, I see people up there. Um, actually, Hannah. Is very like yeah, man. She is that pacing wolf energy. She's yo, like, I told like I said to myself, I'm like, that's one of the few people, and I just I just move the fuck out of the way. Yeah, like I'm like, Mm-mm. when I first met her too, and I told her, I'm like, what a waste of fucking energy. Yeah, and I was thinking, I told her, I'm like, let's just put on a fucking show. I said it, and then I saw her for like two more. I'm like, no, this is just the way she is, and yeah. she fucks shit up. I'm like, well, I got nothing to say. Now. <laughs> like, not only is that who you are. Yeah, but you backed it up. I hate when people put on a show and suck dick. I'm like, maybe you should redo these things. You know, maybe just don't do that. But I love that case, you said yeah, that. I hate that. In man. Vegas, there was so my girl who you know she's not a lifter, mm-hmm. but she's like, man, there's this guy back there, and 
he's fucking like berserk. Like headphones in, sweater, just fucking like troll, like troll pacing. I don't yeah. know if you nerds yeah. know what a troll is, but like, it's just this big troll. Yeah, nerds stomping around. He's a troll with plus fire, plus five to fire resistance. Yeah, so, so that's a big deal. Yeah, because trolls, obviously. Um, but anyways, he was putting headphones, everything, and then hitting the torque, and then he'd go out and he fucking zeroed everything. <laughs> when I favorite. tell you. Everything, not one event, not one lift. He zeroed every event, every lift, and every time he did that same thing. Oh. And I'm like, bro, like, maybe you, first of all, you scared my girlfriend. Yeah, which so stop <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, seriously, because now she thinks I got to fight a lunatic. <laughs> and secondly, like, you put on a show, dude, just to zero everything. Yeah, man, and that's I hate. I don't. I mean, when people. When the show is bigger than the performance, the performance <laughs> or the execution. Yeah. Like Imagine if the opening credits to your favorite movie was like that. And you're like, oh, this is going to be so good. And then and it ends. Fucking the end. Yeah. Credits. <laughs> you're like, wait, what? We love you, Dark Continent. Good night. <laughs> yeah, man. And it, it happens a lot, I think. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's it's part of the, I guess it's part of the game. I don't know, man. I'm not that. This is not for me. Like, okay, I got to go lift this. You got to not die. That's it. Yeah. Well, not dying is a is kind of a big deal for me. Oh, it's easier when you're dead on the inside. Well, oh. 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 What's the GPS there? Plus 10 to necromancy. Did you say necromancy? Oh, wow. We're about to, bo- we're about <laughs> to go into another <laughs> genre of audience members. The <laughs> best. I said plus fire or fire resistance, and I'm, I'm pretty sure like at least 16 people <laughs> turned off the podcast. <laughs> like, <laughs> these fucking Listen, nerds. These fucking nerds. Yeah, but no, come no, out, lift us. Yeah. yeah. Well, don't know with me. No, no, don't actually do that. But like show up. Or just come to Miami's Baddest Man and pay my entry ticket so I can just <laughs> buy some pieces for my Bronco. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so touching base on what we were saying <laughs> before, um, I think it's important to answer that question in in that practicality. Yeah, sure. Same thing that Brian Carroll always taught me is like there's certain things that shouldn't be your GPS. Uh, and be your fuel system instead. And I really love that. It takes practice. It, it is. It does. It does take practice. And look, I tell you what, I've been doing this particular type of style. I mean, I I had a good focus when I fought because you can't fight with rage, but you can certainly be angry. Mm. Um, you know, some people would agree differently. I think a lot of people have their own particular paths. I remember hearing Mike Tyson once say, "A happy fighter is a dangerous fighter," and that's coming from one of the scariest motherfuckers on the planet. Yeah, dude. Um, and that's when he was right with Customato and happy. Um, and he fought a certain way. Well, I'm not going to tell Mike Tyson he's fucking wrong. <laughs> uh, and I'm, but I'm sure he had more rage than, than anyone on the planet. At Mostly the for personal did. safety. Yeah, exactly. Yo, word, even now. I was like, no. Yeah, right. Um, so, you know, going forward with that is it's, it, it's understanding how to use that as a tool. Yeah. And I, especially if that's not really, I mean, I guess you got to have a real conversation with yourself too. Like, am I that? Yeah, and be genuine. I think it's important to be fucking genuine. Mm-hmm. And it did, like, going on one of the, the comment questions that's on, on, we had posted something about real late, too. My fault. Our, uh, we're a team here. Yeah. It's our fault. Yeah. Okay. Oh, man. Yeah. We All did right. 
Ugh. We fucked up. It feels <laughs> yeah. so much better. Can we? So Jaffe uh, has the We Did It shirts. So we can have a We Fucked Up shirt. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, we fucked up. I fucked up. We fucked up. That that goes for sure for our show. <laughs> Battle Last Podcast. We fucked up. <laughs> what an episode title. Uh, what's going on, guys? Here we went on Instagram Live real quick. Shout out to you guys. Shout out to Bjorn out there in Wales, man. Great rugby team. Um. So he had asked a question too, and and it's not even to to jump on it before you do, John. But sure. I feel like it's a great it's a great tie in. He said w- whether or not we've already uh, answered this question before on injury and what it takes to deal with injury and the mentality and kind of dealing with it. And I I responded with a sense of yeah, we have answered that question before in a sense, but it's an ever evolving thing, mm. and it's just it's kind of into the sense of you know five six years ago or seven years ago how I trained and how I reacted to every lift. And developing who I was and still developing who I am as a lifter, um, it's ever-evolving. So, I mean, if you asked me five years ago how to deal with injury, I can give you a certain list, and now I'll give you a list. And in five years, I'm sure I have an even longer list of certain aspects. Yeah, I'll tell you one thing on injury prevention. Injury prevention is a slippery slope. Coming from a, a physical, let's say, bio, like biomechanical approach, you can massage and PT and roll out and do everything and wrap everything you can and still get fucked up. Um, the level of what intensity you're competing at will certainly dictate how far that threshold is of injury. The higher you go, the more intense you are, the higher level you are, the higher risk of injury because now your weights, your movements, and your, your patterns are above or at the capacity of your human limit, which means the margin of error is small and the capacity for injury is higher. So you have to understand where you are first as an athlete. If you're beginning in any sport, typically you're, you're fine for a couple of years. I mean, you're just never tweet. You're, you're having fun. Every training session's great. You're never really beat up. I remember that like 20 years ago. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I was like, shit, I don't you know, remember yeah, any of that. <laughs> you, yeah, you're all fucking, you're in it. Um, and as you get beat up, you know, things add up. Your body just doesn't react the same. Yeah, um, sure. And it's, it's kind of a fun concept I have from behind the older vehicle that I have now where the upkeep is high. You know the pieces are cheap, but the the long they long they last long. But you got to keep tuned with it. You got to check the carburetor. You got to check the fuel pump. You all these little things that I don't really understand yet, but I'm learning. And I'm like I laugh because I make a correlation with myself to stay mindful. Dealing with that Broncos, dealing with myself. Okay, I can't run at 80 miles an hour anymore. It'll fuck me up. But I can run a strong 60, mm-hmm. and it'll get you there. Maybe not at the same speed, but it's consistent. And I got to check the vehicle when it gets there. And Check on the light. Sometimes the light goes on. I got to flick a cable. And there's a piece that's happening and I don't understand. So what do I got to do? I got to reach out to a professional, mm-hmm. PT or coach. And these, these, these correlations keep me up at night because that's how I, I have to see things. I could get frustrated and just go to a new car and turn it in. And I go, but that doesn't speak anything of character. It doesn't speak of who I am. Instead, you figure things out. You take time. You, you, you do ask for help. You slow down. And that's experience. Yeah. That's just in any sport, I know there's people that think like this at 25 and bless your fucking heart, but I wasn't like that. So when it comes to injury prevention, I'd say the number one thing is making fucking smart decisions. Mm-hmm. And that comes from understanding your perspective. It's understanding your sport, understanding your coach or your personal goals. That's number one. And that's not even intangible. Number two, obviously is fucking perfect form. So number two, three, four, and five is technique, 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 technique. And I saw a list like that somewhere on the Instagram. But it's technique. Those are the top three things. Why? Perfect form will allow you to withstand load over time 
as, and is, that is really what injury prevention is. So if your squat is perfect and you take your time, ideally, as your body and your muscles and your bones and your, and your tendons can withstand load, yeah, there's going to be a certain cap where you can't go anymore, but it is not a glass ceiling effect. You build and build and build. And here's an example. Like bodybuilders, I'm not going to get into the drug game, but look how slow it can really take. It takes 10 years, one little muscle at a time to really build. You're like, how did you get that big one? Well, I've been doing this for 15 years. Mm-hmm. And if I talk to a powerlifter or a strongman, I'll be like, in 15 years, you'll be really strong. They're like, fuck this. I can do it in two. Yeah. Well, man, like slow down. Maybe five or six or 10 or whatever. Sure. That is a true way of injury prevention. Perfect technique, execution, having smart decisions so that you don't rush. Trust me, I already rushed. You know, so now I'm like paying for those things. So I tell all my lifters all the time, like, it's, it's cool, man. Cut it short. Yeah. You can't get the bad form. Call it, man. Walk away. That's a smart decision. You're not teaching your body an improper pattern. So when you pull that ugly deadlift for deadlift for Instagram, you're like, easy deadlift. I'm like, first of all, it's atrocious. Number two, you just taught your body that that's okay. Yeah. So you know what you're going to do the next time it gets heavy? You're going to do that again. That's what your body's going to remember. So those are the number one, number of few things I say uh, will help you with technique ultimately. I mean, for injury prevention. Well, I like that you actually mentioned that. So... Um, as an athlete myself, who's who's going to be an athlete? Wow. I'm an athlete. Yeah, oh, I, like, I, like, ooh, I like that. Yeah, look at me. Um, so you know, I'm what six six weeks out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, six weeks six, out. Yeah. Um, so I would say that my I personally, I'm not. I I try to mentally achieve the best motor patterns I can, but let's say that I have some that are neglected. Things that I, anyone can fine tune. That's the game, right? I think that you will always be chasing that perfect form. Forever. You know, pristine, as we say. Mm. You say, but I steal it. I steal it. Wow. It's my thing. It's expensive. Um, <laughs> the cost of French. <laughs> um, would you try to correct those motor patterns uh, as someone is in prep? Or would you go, look, we're going to need you to perform at your most comfortable now. And then we need to come back and revisit these to fix these motor patterns. Good question. Um, when it comes to something like powerlifting where it's heavily based on technique, something like Olympic weightlifting is another one. Mm-hmm. Sports like strongman, you can get away with a little bit bad form, but I'm not justifying bad form. It's just that moving events tend to have a little bit more dynamic movement that's kind of like not as pristine. Yeah. Again, not justifying bad form and strongman. But when you're six weeks out from anything, it's typically your peaking cycle for most people. Um, six, anywhere between six to four, not including like tapering and, and deload. Um, at that point, you're just doing small fine tuning, mm-hmm. um, making you comfortable in your technique, making sure things are placed correctly, that you're not hurt. Um, massive like form breakdowns obviously should be avoided in general. That should have been avoided the eight, you know, four, six to eight weeks before. At that point, if you're six weeks out and you're having massive technique issues, you should pull out of your competition and you, or you have a shitty coach. If you have some minor things. Mm. Uh, as far as tweaking and maybe you know your lats coming loose at six weeks you can really add small maybe supplementary accessory movements that will help you have a mental awareness of that particular muscle group or that kinetic chain Mm -hmm. so that it fine tunes the main lift here's an example your lats are coming loose on the bench it's a very common thing you know one side goes up before the other um or yeah it's just coming loose at the bottom and you feel that one side is just not waking up 
neurological reaction and responding can happen within seconds and minutes. You can learn rather, rather quickly what that muscle is doing. So what could you do? Maybe in, or, you know, unilateral movements, um, understanding that, man, maybe that side is not that it's not firing, it's that you're just simply not aware that it's there. Maybe doing a bamboo bench that's going to really pressure you into staying tight, doing a reverse band bench, pulling it in and holding it at the bottom and understanding, is that lat fatiguing first? Ex- these are just small examples of what sure. you really do. Some people will say, oh, my glutes aren't firing, which is a physical impossibility. You just may not be aware of them. You're not thinking about them. So why physical contact is important? Well, you can ask when anybody, you're training somebody and you tap somebody in the lat, you're going to tighten that lat up. Mm-hmm. So you need to learn how to do that physical tap internally. So some people warm up with a band around their knees. Some people will warm up the glute first. Not necessarily so it fires. It's always going to fire. But that's so you're aware of this muscle. There's blood rushing there. It's very important. These are things that you can fine-tune six weeks out that aren't going to completely change who you are as a lifter. It's not going from a wide grip to a close grip or from flat feet on the bench to toes or from sumo to conventional, which is drastic. But enough that you're going to be at the safest position you can be at your level of technique this close to competition. Mm -hmm. And good coaches will find the most efficient ones that will work for you at that amount of time. You remember, it's it's hard for a coach to get six weeks out and completely change who you are, but just enough to fine-tune you into a position where you're going to execute at a safer, more pristine level, allowing you to not only get good numbers, but to continue to compete. Does that make sense? Yes. God, that was fucking amazing yes wow i like that that actually, whole thing i should end the fucking show on that I even close my eyes for that fucking i mean that was basically shit. all for me but we welcome the rest <laughs> a, of you yeah <laughs> i'm gonna save that video forever at my spank bank it's just like you're so fucking smart <laughs> <laughs> oh coach me again <laughs> best coach ever mike <laughs> oh man that was awesome yeah good about oh, that shit one. i don't even know what to do what do I do with my hands? Yeah, that would, see, but that's a great question because six weeks out and these, and these weeks out, we these are things that you learn in the trenches. Um, but yeah. also, let's not take this into a coaching perspective. Let's take it into an athlete perspective as well as people that don't have coaches. I understand that some people can't afford them or yeah. they're, they train alone. Um, I get it, man. I've been there plenty of times. Um, a, make, remember when you work with a coach to learn why you're doing what you're doing. A lot of coaches are really good and want to teach you mm-hmm. um, so that when you can't afford them or you're not with them anymore, that you actually are applying what you learned. As an athlete, be real with yourself. Film yourself, not only for Instagram, which I'm, oh, I'm super guilty of, but that's your homework. You know, football players go home and they watch film of themselves day in and day out. I mean, yeah. that's part of their job. It's, it's okay for you to sit at home sometimes or while you're training and analyze your video on different angles, what's coming loose. You know, okay, cool. You have that thirst trap from the side that's dying the up. You look great. But film it from the back. Is the bar uneven? Film it from the front. Are you coming diaphragmatically weak in your stomach? Are your knees coming in and out? Mm-hmm. Like, what are you, if you're by yourself, I mean, or you have to coach yourself. You have to see what's coming loose. And you go, okay, you know, my right knee is coming in. If you're, if you're wise enough, you'll start to kind of, I guess you can Google, you can ask questions, you know, some people out there, be careful who you ask because, you know, getting free information is kind of a dick move for some of you guys that just want free information from people. But I understand that, you know, it's okay to ask. Yeah, sure. And, and look at videos and read all the stuff that's out there. It's so free. They're glute engagement, foot positioning, ankle positioning. I mean, how many things are out there right now that can teach you how to turn on that right side or is it 
a motor pattern issue? Are you just yeah. simply not thinking? Are you thinking about lunch instead of, of, of your barbell squat? And be real with yourself and give yourself just enough in those six weeks or eight weeks to build on that. So it's important to be accountable as an athlete as much as it is important to be accountable as a coach. Mm. You know, not over, over, overloading the, cl- the lifter with so much information. Now they're scrambling and pulling at straws. Like, oh, I don't know, you know, I don't know what to do. Yeah. You know, uh, I have been very fortunate. I am not a coach. I tell people that all the time. I give references. But I am very fortunate in the case that some people ask me a lot, like, hey, can you just, you know, watch me pull this deadlift? And I can give them some things that work for me and say, see how they work for you. And, you know, but listen to what just was said, because that's something that I tell people all the time is you should film, I believe, one to two of your warm-up sets and then one to two of your working sets, de- depending on what your capacity is for that day, so that you can see where you break down, which is essentially what you just said, just yeah. a lot smarter. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, But I do believe that you'll never know where you can improve if you're not seeing yourself. Right. Uh, very important. Um, and, and, of course, there's also the difference between advice and coaching. You know, I think if it's okay to give advice, and as long as you're open about what it is yeah, and where you're coming from, it's important to get a cabinet of ideas. And then if you're asking for advice, that it's not written in stone, that you have the right to take it, analyze it, see what you can get out of it, and then dump the rest. I mean, it's just like you know, Bruce, Lee, Bruce Lee is about martial arts. You take what you can from the movement, you make it yours, and you discard the rest. You, know, you don't have to do all these things. Um, so when you're taking advice, it's important to have ears and be open to maybe co- constructive criticism or just in general try it out or think about it, what they're asking you to do and yeah. see if it's safe um, and see if it's worth using at a certain time in your training. I think that's the importance of off season or off season should be a lot longer than your competitive season or more than eventually. Um, and then piecing things together. Uh, so it, it, it's all a, again, it's all a working system and timing, but as a coach and an athlete, both people need to be cognizant. And a difference between advice and coaching, and you know, obviously, coaching is more direct. It's it's ex- expecting execution. Where advice is, hey, man, this is what it is. Take what you want from it, and and especially if you're being asked, yeah, that's that's different too. Um, I I go back to the conversation that um, we had with uh, Dave Tate. Yeah, and he's like, how awesome is it that something somebody could Google? They take the time to come and ask you. Yeah, and so I always will make the time for someone who asks me a question, even though. <laughs> I I get a lot of questions, so I got nothing. I I mean, what I don't like is I don't like stupid though. questions. Who am I? I'm yeah. a fuckbag. Like no, I'm just there to train, bro. Like just, I'm learning just like you, yeah. but I am more selfish with that time because I'm older. Right. If I'm being real with myself, my window is training. It could be 20 years. It could be five. It could be one. Right. And. If I'm spending 30 minutes with you, then I just lost 30 minutes of training. I'll never get back. <laughs> and you're a dickhead. And then you stole it from me, you piece of shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm not saying you owe me. Yeah. But you, but you owe do. me. And now go do something <laughs> in my life so I can have an hour to myself. Um, we got a question here. Stroman, I guess, says. Uh, he's asking about my. Um, so I used to have these videos on YouTube, John, from a place called Barbell Fly. We're amazing videos, by the way. He did awesome work. Okay. It's actually a really good, famous speech on that about competing. Um, I don't know where they're at, man. He was in Russia for a while, so if people are asking, if you go to YouTube and you hit Barbell Fly, 
used to be able to find some old videos. I was a lot fatter then too, so you can have a really good existence. My belly was amazing. I had a sweet mohawk too oh, when man. I had beautiful curls. Um, but to answer our live question here for people listening now on this podcast, which you're going to hear in a few days, um, that is, I think they took that off the air or they took it off YouTube, which sucks because they were really cool. And I like videos like that. They were like behind the scene, good music. But if I find them, I will post them. I don't even use Facebook anymore. I just put the link on Instagram so you guys can see. Because I did, just to answer questions here, I have like 200 and something videos on YouTube where I used to talk into my computer webcam thing uh, and answer questions on what I thought about everything. I had a beard before it was cool. And I remember looking at these videos now um, and chuckling to myself. I still go back and watch them because it gives me anxiety, a lot of anxiety. <laughs> but it's important to see how far my opinions have come and how far some have not changed. And I think that's really, really cool that I can look back six, seven years. Man, really. And to see that more youthful face <laughs> that hasn't been so damaged by life. But uh, and see... Um, a lot of the things I have to say, and I remember the the videos he's referring to, we were asked about competition and whether or not you should compete and, you know, just what your my opinion was. That, and it's like, you know, even if you're in last place, you're 100 times better than the person that stayed on their couch. You've said that on this podcast. Yeah. 100%. And, and it, I said that about five, six years ago on that podcast. And I remember looking back and being like, you know, fuck, yeah. I mean, I think the specific words, it's better to be up on stage sucking dick, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I caught myself, and he left it on there. First of all, on stage, that's yeah, a weird like, thing. Yeah, wow, a lot of dollar bills Porn on there. has really changed. Yeah, it's really, it's a whole game changer. Um, but it, it it's pretty cool that just to touch base on that stuff. Um, it, it's pretty amazing to go back and watch these videos. It's like, I still go back and roughly listen to the first five episodes because I don't listen to the episodes you do. Um, I just go to the end sometimes about it <laughs> yeah. or the intro. <laughs> and I'm like, I'll have uh, to give you specific times like 22 minutes in. Yes. Listen. Yes, that's exactly what you, I, I'm like. <laughs> I'm not listening to it. Um, and, and, and just see how much it has evolved and why it ties in so much to why a lot of people will answer your questions with, well, it depends. And it, it it's ever evolving. Um and to go back into answer that question before we come off the live feed, you know, dealing with these injuries uh, mentally, mm-hmm. and that's an ever evolving thing. Your first injury is is heartbreaking. It is it is it is a detrimental detri- detrimental to your your physical health, your mental health, your outlook. Um, it's the it's the top like the top thing in your life, um, and it consumes you, and it can be it can lead to a lot of depression and. Unfortunately, as you build injuries, you also callous your spirit. You start to understand that this is truly what you signed up for. And though you no longer sprint like you used to, you have a certain pride in your gait. And it's important, write that down, it's important to understand that it's not necessarily that you earn these injuries per se, but that you certainly will earn the character that you get from them if you treat them correctly. Meaning, understanding why you got injured in the first place and it really focuses on if this is something you truly love to do. Um, and I mean this by anything, whether it's emotional endeavors or business endeavors or physical endeavors, you will suffer injuries, quote unquote, throughout your career. And they are going to define you. The way you come back from it is what truly defines you. Mm-hmm. Because that is a hardship of sport. That is a hardship of success. So how do you come back mentally from injury you have to have the same energy and passion you had going into the injury. 
And you have to dig into that to come out. So it, it's okay for you to certainly feel a certain way when you're hurt. But remember how high you were on your high horse before you got hurt. And if you're a true blue and a genuine person, you're going to climb back on that horse because that is who you are. And that's why I always say I see a lot of these people waving the flag of how much they love the sport and how much they love this and I'm all about it. And then they get injured and they're gone. Mm-hmm. They didn't help nobody. They didn't talk about it. They didn't fucking like, explain how to come back. They just fucking disappear. Yep. And it to me goes, man, you look like just one big bullshitter. Because when things are going your way and you're winning and you're on the top and never hurt, you're there. But then suddenly you get hurt and you, you hate the sport. You have to focus on other things. You're, it was dumb to compete and you never helped anybody recover. You become a statistic. Yeah. Where when you get hurt, it's important to understand too that other people are going to need you. Take it as a, as a way of, of building your legacy if you have to because I'm telling you injury is super depressing. Especially real injury. I'm not talking about bullshit injury like you know, tearing a small muscle. Like really hurting yourself. It's a way for you to build a character, to build why you want to stay in this sport. But more importantly, in many ways, and for some of us, it's a good way to get other people out of the hole. It's a good way to build that ladder to get them out of that ditch. So there's various ways of, 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 of dealing with injury, if you want to say. But certainly, it's not that anyone wants to be hurt. And it's not like I got hurt and I became some fucking messiah of injury. And suddenly I'm like, listen to me. In fact, it was fucking awful and relatively suicidal, to be quite frank with you. And I hated it, and I still hate it, and I hate what it did to me in many ways. But at the same time, I have to identify it for what it is. It is that old car mentality, and it built a massive amount of character into me, and, and it helped open avenues for a lot of people. So remember that aside from a physical endeavor, it is certainly a psychological journey to build on this. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut off the live stream on that one because I thought it was a good, good place to end. Yeah, before you guys go on the live stream, when he was talking about, what did you say the name of those YouTube videos were? Uh, barbell fly if you can find them you get them to us and also if you want to like i don't know we don't get paid to do this so if you want to intern for us and like you know do cool videos and pictures of us i will fucking love somebody to do that we will totally say thank you Mm -hmm. a lot we'll buy you bang energy drinks yeah there's always whiskey at the battle axe gym and and you'll totally someone will like do something no, nah, no, nah, I won't do that. But if you want to do that for us, we're more Let than make welcome a sandwich. to. Yeah, but seriously, if anybody finds those videos, <laughs> if you look at Battle Axe Gym or Michael Delapava on YouTube, go ahead and <laughs> do yourself a favor and look at those old videos and then let me know. Because I'm right now, I just can't believe I exposed myself like this. <laughs> Some of those are shirtless. I am about to throw up. Yeah, and there's a well, fucking, but that beard is sweet. You'll yeah, see. It's good, it's good. That's a much younger <laughs> me. So thank you so guys, so many, thank you so much guys for tuning in the on our live feed. Um, Take care of yourselves and hit us up with anything you guys want. And I hope you enjoyed that live part there. And for the rest of you listening on the rest of the podcast, well, hello, we're back. Thanks for not jumping on the live feed. Thanks for not, yeah, thanks for not commenting on our post, you pieces. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you know what? Uh, one of the guys um, jumped in there, Erbsky. Um Oh, our Chicago brother. Yeah, so yeah. BV Chicago, shout out to you guys. Getting um, after it, man. Those guys are super motivated. Yeah, and he, he, change. he asked a question about, um, <coughs> this is something I... I deal with a lot. I'm not a nutrition guy. I'm going to tell you this guy. Um, I hate giving nutritional advice because people are so personally attached to food. But he's asking about different things about you know giving up certain parts of, of, of food and certain bad food. And maybe you're at a plateau. And I'm going to tie that into everything we always do because like, that's just part of my favorite. Um, 
It's what you don't do that makes you really dedicated. It's not necessarily what you're doing. And I've said that many, many times. I'm guilty of failing constantly. I'm not calling myself a saint. And doing what I do in many cases gets me in trouble in various forms. But it's what you don't do that's going to get you to anything that you want in life. Uh, equally as much as what you're doing. So, you know, not sleeping as much. To wake up at 6 a.m., it's what you're not doing, right? You know, not making mistakes and not going out at night and not, you know, eating bad foods and things like that. If you see it in that perspective, it can build strength. I can build character and it builds discipline, which in essence will build motivation. So to answer your question in many ways, and those guys that are listening right now on how to break plateaus mentally and how to, you know, get to this next place in dieting, I'd say it's not much different than what's going to get you a PR on the barbell. It's what you're not doing. I can personally tell you right now that the reason why I haven't excelled in the last couple months is because I enjoy having a beer on the middle of a Tuesday at 9.30 at night and then having like eight more. It's just <laughs> true. Like I just sit there. I'm like, I don't drink Yingling anymore. Let me get nine Miller Lights. So I justify, you know, more beer because it's less carbs. Like this is the way the animal works, right? But how can I tell you I'm fully dedicated if I'm getting buzzed, not drunk, just buzzed and a few beers, and eating wings at 9 o'clock on a Thursday. The truth of the matter is that if I was coaching myself, I'd be like, fuck you, pal. You're not dedicated. You're not. They'll be bullshit. But now I'm eight weeks out from a very heavy show, and it's it's it. It's done. Obviously, going to Ireland will have its own things. I'm not going to over like completely crush a once-in-a-lifetime experience. I will have my fun, but let's be real. Am I going to go next you know, two weeks on a Wednesday and get drunk for fun playing pool? No. I mean, I physically cannot do this. So it's, not, it's what I'm not doing, too, that is as justifiable as eating the right foods and lifting really heavy and, and, you know, and getting more sleep as much as getting now it's more sleep than less sleep, things like that. I just literally tasted chicken wings and ice-cold Miller Lite, and my mouth was watering oh, so bad. Man. On a Sunday, too, on a football day. I am day. such a pig. Oh, so piece of shit. I'm so excited. You did this to me, Dad, eh? <laughs> <laughs> you made me this way. Ugh. <laughs> oh. God. Oh, wow. So um, just to tie it in and, and, and bring everything back together, I'd like to say that one of, the, one of my favorite parts about just being on this podcast today is the general understanding that everything is relatively not only cyclical but tied together. So there's a certain general genre that there's a line between the coach and the athlete. Um, but I'd like to be very descriptive that the line or the, the differences between these two is not as far as you think. You know, the, ca- the coach does battle internal fears and anxieties and there's personal blame and personal loss and there is fear, true fear, that you're going to let people down like the athlete. The athlete will sit there and doesn't want to let their coach down, their family down. They don't want to get hurt as much as the coaches don't want you to get hurt. They don't want to lose as much as the coaches don't want to see you lose. There's a different, there's not much different in both of them except that their plan and attitude of execution is different. One is actually on the stage and the other one is behind the stage, the fuel, the Serrano de Bergerac, if you will, of that particular situation. The, the poet in the bush, somebody that's out of the, of the shadow, the limelight. Every time we have these shows and these understandings, I always like to bring in the fact that, okay, it's the coach, it's the athlete. You know, we, we've talked about that and I wanted to kind of we laid out a sense of questionnaires today that was just generally organic. There was no particular pattern. But it is, it is the finding of the pattern that is the most 
addicting part of every situation. The most addicting situation of most conversation is to understand patterns, right? That's why I love psychoanalyzing things. That's why I'm a crazy person. It's diving deep, right? If we understand these things, this line between coach and athlete, this is what brings the aspect of why a lot of people think they can coach. And I know that this is something happening because when you're that far deep into something, there's a thin line between wanting to help and then wanting to grow in your own way. And I respect that. I respect that people who have been in the sport for a certain amount of time are now transitioning into a coaching career or a coaching passion. I don't even want to say career. Some people do it for nothing or for free simply because they think that this is how they're going to help people out and et cetera, and I respect that too. But what's important to understand that there's not much, they're, they're very, very close and similar. But when it comes to execution and when it comes to what it takes to coach and what it takes to be an athlete, there's one thing that stands immensely apart, and that is accountability. The accountability of an athlete is not necessarily the accountability of a coach. And that's where things get really, really tricky. Accountability as a coach is very hard because what you're, if you're hard on yourself and you're not accountable with yourself, you're hurting two people. You're hurting yourself as a coach and you're protect, you could be particularly hurting your athlete. And I mean this emotionally, mentally, and physically. As an athlete, if you're accountable or not accountable, the only person you're really kind of fucking over is yourself. But as a coach who now took somebody else's life, and I mean this literally, their life, their health, their goals, their dreams, their happiness is somewhat under your umbrella. A great competition as much as a great training course can literally make somebody's life that much better. Your dedication to your craft, your accountability, will you be there on time for your lifter? Understand that when an athlete is late, it just pisses the coach up, but the coach is not... It's not that big of a deal. It's kind of like what you signed up for. But when a coach is late, it crushes an athlete. It's just the way. It's, what, it's not what the athlete signed up for. It's not they, they're vulnerable. As a coach, you are the rock. You are the column that we spoke about. You are that person. You are the mule, son. You are supposed to take that weight. That is what you signed up for. You are now responsible for multiple lives, whether you think you are or not. There's some people that go home and think of nothing but to impress you and the gym more than anything else in life. And unfortunately, as much as you think it's not true, it is true. And it's fucking hard. And you know what, son? It's heavy, real heavy. And you can only ask for more responsibility because that's going to build character. It's going to build you as a coach. So when I see certain lines being crossed, when I see that there is this kind of transition from one into the other, I hope, and I say this openly, I hope because you have finally understood that the level of accountability of the coach and the athlete are vastly different and the responsibility of improper execution or the consequences of that is insanely different. Remember, the athlete will fuck themselves over, but as a coach, you are now holding several things in your hand, not only yourself, but your lifter. And as you listen today, we've touched base on things like preventing injury, staying disciplined, traveling, coaching, all these aspects that seem so far from each other, but in reality, they're not, right? To travel to coach is just as hard as it is to travel to be an athlete. You have to give up things in your life. You have to give up time. I wish I can put all the money and all the time and all the effort that I've put into traveling over the United States to compete. I wish I could put it in some sort of tangible trophy case because nobody's giving me a trophy for trying. Nobody's giving me a medal 
for countless of hours away from my family or the countless of injuries and losing a competition and going back to a hotel room and crying yourself to sleep because you sucked ass. You sucked ass. Maybe you're just a really passionate person that just wants to lean on somebody, but you're by yourself. I wish I could have a trophy case for effort, but that's not what we signed up for as athletes. But the coach understands that, right? Because that's where we were once. So I often say this to myself and I see these things and instead of criticizing, as much as I want to sit here and I want to bash so many people that I feel are so unbelievably unqualified, but how fair is that to say to myself when I was there once? I do understand that who I've become as a coach in the last five years overshadows who I was. I mean, I look at that man like a boy. I do, and I, and I want to formally apologize for anybody that I've ever miscoached or done wrong because I didn't know, but I, I'll tell you one thing, and at least I can tell myself this, is when I didn't know something or when I was, short, I was shortcoming on something, I would say, I fucking suck, man. I don't know. <laughs> Let me find out for you. So saying this is to really motivate and to give an instruction or an understanding for all of us because, look, who I coach or who I am now as a coach and an athlete are going to be so different in five years where the athlete breaks down and just finally just just stops and breaks or where he goes on to do things that no 40-year-old can do. And the coach, whether he is an angry person or grumpy or suddenly I become the nicest, happiest guy in five years, I don't necessarily know. But I do understand that when people are openly discussing why we're doing what we're doing and we're verbalizing emotions and understanding that people have a outline to grow, which I did not have. I didn't understand when it's okay to be a coach or when it's okay to be the athlete. I didn't know how much of my life was going to be breaking down into pieces as I became a better coach and my athleticism began to slip away. No one told me that. No one ever wrote it out for me like, hey, Mike, you know when you show up on time and pat your, coach, your athlete on the back, that that's everything to them? I didn't necessarily know that that was on an outline because it took me a while to look back into my fighting days and going back into the corner with a minor concussion and a bloody nose and a broken fucking face and my coach putting my hand around my neck and say, it's going to be okay, boy. I didn't remember that that was everything to me as an athlete. It was everything to me. So I didn't have that yet, right? So some of us listening to this, this podcast, if you're still listening, awesome. But there is a certain understanding that the accountability that you have as an athlete is like the child of the accountability you must have as a coach. It's not your post. You are everything to this lifter for at least five minutes at a time. For one fucking day where three minutes of execution is on the fucking board, you are everything. You are their lifeline. You're their mom, their dad, your granddad, your best friend. You must excel. You must put yourself at that level. You must understand that you, your fucking smile can break them to pieces or make them into a warrior. Nothing compared to a fucking athlete. Nothing. So the wild dogs and the person behind the chain has to have this understanding. And I wanted to touch base on that more importantly because everything is connected with that. Sacrifice, passion, the GPS of your training should be the GPS of your coaching, right? When to be the, that person, when to let passion rule, when it's okay to roar behind your lifter and when does it tell them to, hey man, squeeze that hand tighter. Lock in that wedge. When is it to hold the chain? Or when is it to release the gate? I hope that this understands that the steps into growing are coming from experience. They're coming from scars and hardships and mistakes. Not like I, I step on here and say suddenly I think I know what I'm talking about. I was only to, only to begin to understand where I'm going. 
But I wish somebody would have said a lot of these things to me five years ago, seven years ago, ten years ago. So, listening to everything, I want to thank everything sincerely. Because everybody has a particular journey. Everybody has a particular sacrifice, and everybody has particular pain. And although we understand that there's a vast difference in how we execute these things sometimes, we are internally bound to this fire, to this, this coal fire in our belly that's pushing us forward. Is it passion, or is it understanding destiny? This is the Battle Axe Gym podcast, reminding you, don't be a pussy. Everything ends.